welcome to episode 49 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina and Baden-Württemberg, Germany, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Rappel, and with me as always is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins! Hey Chris, what's going on? Not much. I heard you had a pretty good weekend. Yeah, I decided to keep it local and played in a local IQ in Cary, North Carolina, and it was modern, and took it down with the the modern deck that I've been playing a lot with recently online and just kind of like locally here, Green Black Infect. We're not probably going to not go into that too much, but I'm, I'm sure that people will be excited to hear more about that in a future episode, potentially. Yeah, I think I think next week we'll be able to go pretty in-depth into the modern that we've been playing. Uh, I've got a GP this weekend, and I'm going to be playing Hollow One, because it's felt really, really good online to me. It just fits my playstyle really well, and I'll, I'll definitely spend some time talking about that. But for today, we should probably just pretty much jump right into it, because we got a lot to go over, because all of M19 has been spoiled. And you know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> patented set review based <laughs> set review yeah so we're going to be going over you know all pretty much all of the cards with constructed implications we're, we might miss one of your like dark horse favorites but we're going to try to hit everyone that we can yeah and yeah give them a letter grade from a to f the way that you know the letter grade is definitely like the least important part of the things that we're going to say but we're going to keep saying them because some people do like them uh, sure. The way that we've worked that out is that an A is a format-defining card, so something like Glorybringer, and I think Chain Whirler has probably graduated to that spot at this point. Even though it, it only fits in like one or two kinds of decks, the whole format has definitely warped around that card, so I, I would call it an A by now. Oh yeah. A B would be uh, a card with a uh, that we, that we foresee having like a consistent format presence that is always around, uh, always getting played. Cards like a braid, really good removal spells like that. A C would be something that's a role player, useful, strong card, but is pretty limited in the types of decks that it goes into. So something like Essence Scatter would, would fit into this category. A D would be a card that's something that's kind of speculative, might be good in a specific deck that could exist or if a format goes to the right place. So my sort of pet card for this right now is Karn's Temporal Sundering, which I would <laughs> love to see be actually playable, but my experimentation has wildly fluctuated one way or the other. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then hopefully we don't give out any Fs. Those are only really gonna apply to cards that have been wildly overhyped. So something like Old Growth Dryads from from Ixalan, and I don't, I don't think we're gonna run into any in M19. Before we get into it, just want to really quickly thank our patrons for supporting us. So, uh, newest patron, Peter Sikis, thank you so much. If anybody would like to uh, support us, you can visit us at patreon.com slash mtggrindcast and get access to our Discord and some rewards that we're setting up, some, some goals that we've got going for, you know, kind of merch and for additional content. But now I guess we should just... Not waste too much time and start talking about M19, huh? Yeah, let's jump into it. And it might be good to start with just the uh, the cards that we've seen before, right? So these are the the reprints. Cards that have existed before, so we kind of like already have a, a decent idea of how good they are, how well they're going to play out in their respective formats and everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And these are in kind of a weird order because we pulled them out while we were going through the spoiler by color, but 
they're here. These are the reprints. So we're starting with Ajani's Pride Mate, which is one and a white for a 2-2 cat soldier. Whenever you gain life, you may put a plus one, plus one counter on Ajani's Pride Mate. So this card's like famous for going into Soul Sisters. Mm -hmm. um, so any of the one mana, one, one that says whenever another creature comes into play, you gain a life. Combos really well with Ajani's Pride Mate because Ajani's Pride Mate sees, it, you know, it comes into play and then it sees you gain life off of the trigger and then it's a 3 3 immediately. And we'll run in, we might run into this card later, but uh, there is a one mana enchantment in the set as well that says whenever a creature comes into play under your control, you gain a life. So, mm -hmm. already looking at some combo potential there. Maybe like a standard deck revolving around gaining life could be fun. Yeah, I mean, we're in this. We're in this weird, like, mid-range aggro place where it's possible that, like, the deck that you want to play to beat, like, red aggro decks and mid-range red decks is, like, a, a life-gainy deck with, with Crested Sunmare or something like that. And this could find a home in a deck like... Like, like M19 has a lot of tools for a, for a deck like that. So, possible. Definitely possible. Kind of the thing that interests me even more out of this card, and this is going to sound really silly... But we're in a standard that I think is big enough for at least the next couple of months to support this. Uh, the fact that Ajani's Pride Mate is a cat is actually a thing that matters. And the cat oh. tribal deck, I think now... A lot of life gain just, in there. A lot of life gain, and I think it has enough playables now. Um, and especially, like, right. if you can play a Regal Caracal and attack with, like, two or three creatures, each of those creatures triggers the Ajani's Pride Mate. So it gets absolutely huge if you get one attack in. So, mm -hmm. you know... Kind of weird. We're mixing our, our cats here. We've got the, the <laughs> stand-up cats with swords and then just like regular cats with claws. But so, so that actually made me kind of miss it for a second because it's a totally different kind of cat. But, you know, there's a couple possible homes for this thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely a, a bit flavor-wise different than the rest of the cats that we've been used to. But <laughs> it's a cat, so it works. Yep, it is a cat. So probably like a C. Yeah, probably a C. We, we kind of know how this guy plays out. We know he can be very strong in the right archetypes, so we're just kind of like looking out for those archetypes. Yep. Next up, we talked about this a little bit before, but we've got Mentor of the Meek, two and a white, for a 2-2 human soldier. Whenever another creature with power two or less enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay one. If you do, draw a card. Yeah, I mean, so this guy is potentially very powerful. It's a, it's a very big draw engine with, if you have XX mana and plan on casting a bunch of small creatures or even stuff like tokens can trigger this guy so we're looking at things like the monument uh i'm blanking on which monument it is but the white monument uh, a catcher's is, monument yeah right you know potentially like a, a pretty good combo with this card right right because it triggers off of the guy and off of the token yeah right you're drawing a lot of cards if you've got both of those and, and plenty of mana so you know, that's kind of doing it. But, you know, it's still a 3-mana 2-2 two, two that has to live. And the other side is that Okecha's Monument is definitely oppressed right now. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Goblin Chain Whirler. Uh, and a new card that they printed in the set, which is Goblin Chain Whirler-esque. So that's all very silly. But yeah, definitely worth keeping an eye on this guy. Because he, he could potentially be a role player in some archetype. Yeah, yeah, I'd put him at a solid C. This... This guy definitely appeals to me as a way to give card advantage to the, the token-y kind of decks, especially to Monument. Uh, Bygone Bishop was a thing that the Monument decks really, really miss, and this is a solid replacement. 
if you can make monument work, which which seems kind of hard. But you know, this is a pretty powerful you know sideboard card as well in matchups that are kind of slow and grindy and can definitely draw a lot of cards. Next up, we've got Anticipate. One in a blue instant, look at the top three cards of your library, put one into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Probably right now we mostly play Supreme Will in this slot, but if blue decks need, you know, a kind of clunky, awkward cantrip effect, this is fine, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we've played Anticipate in Standard Control before. We didn't really have another good option, I don't think, but it's still just good to have that kind of card selection in control decks. Yeah, like, between Search for Ascanta and uh, Supreme Will, like you mentioned, uh, I think that we've pretty much got that card selection covered for the most part right now, but I think that I could see, like, you know, after rotation maybe and a couple of sets down the line, we're going to look back and be like, oh, hey, we still have Anticipate in Standard, so let's mm -hmm. not forget about that. Right. Yeah, and it, it kind of only fits in, like, some kind of pretty specific stuff, because right now we still got, like, strategic planning and chart of course, too, for the decks that would prefer graveyard interaction or have creatures they can attack with or need yeah, a discard. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's there. It's not exciting, but it's there. So next up we've got Omniscience, which is seven blue, blue, blue for an enchantment. You may cast spells from your hand without paying their mana costs. So, yeah. you know, legacy all-star Omniscience. Uh, I don't... <laughs> know that it's gotten played anywhere that you can't show and tell it into play though yeah it's this is definitely a one of those cards that's probably not going to see any standard play but it might just be here because it's a reprint for the eternal formats but you know i don't know we, if we have enough like anticipates or something we might be able to make some sort of combo deck that just like digs towards <laughs> you know some payoff <laughs> yeah, or whatever we don't have any way to cheat it out, so it would need to be some sort of weird Hour of Promise deck of some sort. Um, I don't really see it, but this is not yeah, the kind of oh, deck sure. that I usually see until somebody builds it. So It's definitely a stretch, right? Because I'm really looking for it instead of just it being like, you know, kind of there and clear. But yeah. like, I could see some sort of like Hour of Promise ramp shell into cast omniscience and then your deck is just full of a bunch of like cantrips or whatever like glimmer digs four deep anticipate digs three deep maybe some time walks yeah right and then yeah i like i don't really know what you would be looking for like what what the big payoff is or whatever that you could cast for free in standard but um, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well it's got to be harder to cast than the the seven and triple blue <laughs> enchantment so i don't know yeah we'll see yeah probably probably not worth really putting any more thought into but uh probably you know not. you want to try at least but yeah um omniscience it's probably just here for a, a, a you know eternal reprint just so that the price doesn't get out of control um yeah. i i would be very surprised if it sees any played in standard honestly S same surprised but excited so oh, yeah. probably an f but but yeah definitely could be cool for sure um, next up we've got sort of a matched set we've got death baron and diagraph ghoul so Death Baron is, so one and two black for a two, two zombie wizard. Skeletons you control and other zombies you control get plus one, plus one and have death touch. And Diagraph Ghoul is one black for a two, two that enters the battlefield tapped and it's a zombie. So, you know, these are some pretty strong zombies, honestly, and kind of like the stuff that you're looking for in a potential 
zombies archetype in standard and i i think that we are getting enough zombies that i would not be surprised to see a zombies archetype in standard at least be tried out for the first couple of weeks and then it'll be put through the test of you know is this a thing that can survive like something that we saw recently was that like merfolk in standard was played for the first couple of weeks but it did not pass the test of this right. is going to be something in standard from now on um, and I think that the same thing will happen. People will be trying out zombie lists for the first little bit. I think that I probably would give it a more likely chance than Merfolk seeing like actual play beyond that, but uh, still to be determined on that one. Yeah, I mean, black is a better color than like green-blue for this, like a tribal creature strategy, just because it has support like good removal and duress. So tools yeah, are there yeah, to yeah. give it a little more depth. Um, this would be a lot different from the zombies decks, you know, like the the one that won uh, Pro Tour Amonkhet, because if you replace Crit Breaker with a one mana two two, you go from a very grindy mid range deck to a much more aggressively slanted sort of creature deck. And there's another zombie that we'll get to in a minute in M nineteen that sort of supports that. It's a two mana three two with some value tacked on, but but mostly it's a t- two mana three two for the purposes of the early turns. So, uh, you know, I, I think this could exist. It's going to look very different, but, like, Liliana's Mastery is still a really powerful card if, like, all of the creatures in your deck are zombies. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that we definitely have some pretty good tools there, and, I th- and you know, even just, like, Death Baron gives our zombies really good equity in, in just, like, creature combat all the time, you know? Because, yeah. you know, he, he just makes it so that it doesn't matter how big your opponent's creatures are, all of your dudes have Death Touch, so you can just jam or hold back to block or kind of whatever whatever you need to be doing at the moment so like you know generally the bane of like small creature aggro is like bigger creature mid-range and i think that mono green right now would definitely quantify qualify as like a bigger creature deck um, but because we have access to death baron and giving all of our guys death touch uh that definitely you know means that i think that we can still compete there yeah, unless uh, you're trying to fight against creatures with a first strike, which is mostly Goblin Chain Whirler, but... Well, um, yeah. <laughs> Goblin Chain Whirler is just no fun, so... It's it's really no fun at all. <laughs> um, so that next up, we've is... got a pretty sweet Mythic reprint that uh, mostly just given props to Wizards for fitting this into a, a set that should get a lot of product opened to drive the price down a little bit, but this is Crucible of Worlds. Uh, three cost artifacts you may play land cards from your graveyard yeah so we we've already kind of had this effect in standard in the ramanap excavator and you know it's it's still not really seeing much play or anything so i I wouldn't expect crucible to see play in standard either uh but it is yeah it's just kind of like another reprint for eternal formats um the one place i do see it is so it's, it's got to be a deck that wants this effect that was not able to run Excavator already. And the most powerful land in standard for using a Crucible effect with would be Field of Ruin. Um, so I can see this as potentially like a way that these blue-white mirrors play out as a way of recycling your Field of Ruin over and over again, uh, making sure to keep your opponent off of uh, Azkanta and also just like stripping all of their non-basics turning them into basics and then like you end up with a way higher land count over a very long game because they don't get to keep their non-basics in play that's 
maybe a possibility. The problem with that is like if you play a turn three Crucible and they play a turn three History of Benelia, then you're probably in trouble. But the presence of Field of Ruin in the format, I think, gives us a little bit more legs than it might otherwise have had in previous standards. For sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the biggest part of the Crucible in the Control Mirrors would just be guaranteeing that you can make a land drop every turn, and mm-hmm. then your opponent is like less likely to make land drops every turn because you're, you know... Well, I mean, like, turn two, search for Escanta, turn through Crucible of Worlds, start flipping lands into your graveyard and playing them from your graveyard. Like, that is, that's just value right there. Right, yeah, yeah. So that that's definitely what it, how it could help. Um, and also just kind of, like, you know, using a Field of Ruin and getting it back is, is essentially playing a land, an additional land. So that's pretty neat. But, uh, yeah, generally, you know, uh, it's not like we're going to be able to lock anybody out of being able to play Magic, like... Crucible has done in the past with, like, Ghost Quarter or Wasteland. Yeah, or Tech Edge or anything like that, right? Um, yeah, I think that all of the standard decks are going to have enough basics to function just off of the basics. Um, so, we're definitely For sure. not really worried about, uh, you know, any kind of, like, weird oppressiveness there. No, I, I don't think that's going to happen. So next, we've got Banefire, which is X and a red for a sorcery. Banefire deals X damage to any target. If X is five or more, this spell can't be countered and the damage can't be prevented. So a uh, classic finisher against counterspell heavy control decks. And guess what we've got in standard? Yeah, for sure. For sure. We've got some counterspell decks and we've got mono red. So... And the the counterspell decks, a lot of them have uh, Settle the Wreckage in them, and that makes it very easy to get off a Banefire for five or more. So I, I definitely foresee this, you know, as like a two-of sideboard card in a lot of the red aggro decks. I think it's just too easy to make it work. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Banefire is definitely, definitely an, a good option for the sideboard as just like, a, you know, I could kill your, your Lyra. I could kill your Lyra late. Or I could, you know, just hold it and get you down to a low life total and, you know, burn you out, get you dead. Yep. Yep. One word of caution when you're casting it. Don't forget that commit to memory can still get rid of this. Um, The, you know, like the commit to memory field of ruin combo is the bane of carnage tyrants everywhere. And I think it'll be the bane of lethal banefires as well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. But, you know, I think we'll see a lot of this. This is a solid, like... C role, you know, role player sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a bit too powerful to not see any play, so it'll probably see some middling sideboard play somewhere. Mm-hmm. Next up, we've got Smelt. One red, instant, destroy target artifact. I think this is, you know, might not see any play, especially especially won't see play while a braid is legal. But it's nice, efficient, mm-hmm. does a thing you want. If you want to kill artifacts, then kill artifacts with it yeah i agree while braid is in the format i just can't see any argument for playing smelt like they're both instants so there's not even like that separation it's just like the one mana difference for the utility of dealing three damage to a creature which is just you know insanely value so um yeah you don't want five shatters before you want this first smelt right now and that just doesn't seem possible right 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 but yeah, I mean, you know, good to note that we we have it in uh, in standard as an option. But until braid rotates out, then I think that a braid's yeah. gonna be our primary red destroying artifact thing. Yep. 
Next up, we got a kind of a more exciting uh, naturalized effect for standard, which is Reclamation Sage. Two and a Rex green. Sage. For a 2-1 yeah. Elf Shaman, when it enters the battlefield, you may destroy target artifact or enchantment. This is a great card. Yeah, Rex Sage is, you know, on the other end of Smelt, you know, uh, just kind of like a really ideal answer for certain things. And it is worth noting that we already have a lot of pretty good answers. Like, we have Thrashing Bronodon, mm-hmm. which is like a, just a really solid destroy target, or yeah, target artifact or enchantment. Um, kind of on its own with a bigger body. But the upside yeah. of Rex Sage is that you get to destroy the thing and keep the body, right? Right. So it's not strictly better or worse, I wouldn't say. So any like green deck that's looking for some sort of naturalized effect post board, in probably in addition to Bronodon, then yeah, we've got Rex Sage as a as a pretty good option. Yeah, and if you have any particular way to like use the body, you know, like maybe a snake deck would want to split them or something like that because like having any body in play is great for your gear hulks so you know like sometimes you know like against heart of kieran or something if that's one of the big reasons why you want to naturalize effect like thrashing brontodon isn't doing a great job there but if they play heart of kieran and then you play reclamation sage then you know you're getting ahead that that's pretty good yeah that's really good for sure like it it trades with a history of Benalia, uh, where something like Thrashing Brontodon doesn't. Like, like mm-hmm. it, has it, got a lot of utility, and I think yeah. um, it'll be, you know, it'll take some careful experimentation to figure out which one you want in any given sideboard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Rex Age is one of those cards. I even just like recently in Standard, I've noticed that there are just a bunch of uh, artifacts and enchantments floating around, just kind of in- inherently. Which has turned, you know, we've all noticed that Thrashing Bronodon is is really strong right now in in standard, and honestly, maybe even like one of the reasons to play green. Um, mm-hmm. So if yeah. Thrashing Bronodon is that strong, then I think the Reclamation Sage will be similarly strong, and uh, potentially see it play in addition to it. But you know, we'll just have to gauge how many artifacts and enchantments there are going to be floating yep. around in the new standard. Yeah, and fortunately, most of the time when you're bringing in Rex Sage, it's not going to be against Chain Whirler decks. Like, I guess if there were no Chain Whirler, it might be a fine, like, fifth or sixth sideboard card against a deck that has Bomat Couriers and Scroungers and Heart of Kirin, but it's not, like, a great sideboard card against that kind of deck anyways, so the one toughness is not the biggest deal in the world, but it's something yeah. to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Something to think about. So last year, we've got Scape Shift. Two and two green for a sorcery. Sacrifice any number of lands. Search your library for up to that many land cards. Put them onto the battlefield tapped. Then shuffle your library. Um, <laughs> so unlikely to shift. see standard play. Yeah. Yeah, this one, I, probably more clear than any of the rest of them, is just meant for supplementing the eternal card supply. Uh, You're not... You're not trying so, to get a bunch of, like, Ifnir Deadlands with this thing, or Memorials I mean, to yeah, we've got a lot of utility deserts, <laughs> so something to think about, but no. Yeah, Scapeshift, definitely probably just reprinted for, you know, Scapeshifts were getting up to, like, what, $50, $60 on their own? Yeah, um, just way too much. So, it's just a nice reprint to probably push it da- down to, you know, 30s or so. But it is worth noting that as a result of Scapeshift getting printed, and this is something that happens every time a 
archetype card gets reprinted and then other cards of that archetype don't is that Valka the Molten Pinnacle skyrocketed in price. Um, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, so Valkids are like $30 now. That's so okay. So this is really crazy to me because on Magic Card Market, which is like the European equivalent of TCG player, they are like infinite for five or six euros. So I don't know if I need to just like buy as many as I can while I'm here and then get rid of them when I come back across the Atlantic or if this price <laughs> is just gonna, it, you know, settle down. But yeah, that's that's very strange. Like they they are nowhere near $30 here. So um, yeah, and this could just be some sort of buyout that happened or something similar because I'm looking at the the goldfish pricing and it looks like the the online valakits are still just one dollar for one ticket, but mm-hmm. in paper they've gone up to like thirty bucks or something. Yeah, um, and that might be that could be due to a couple different things. Maybe the most likely is that online they got a lot of supplemental printings like promotional they're in, printings they're as well. in treasure chests too and a lot of the like not super played cards that get put into treasure chests don't have very much value so like dual lands original dual lands online are worth almost nothing so i, I think that online like that's kind of what happens to to cards like valakut um but yeah i this this disparity in pricing between north america and, and europe is is super weird to me yeah, yeah, very strange. But yeah, I mean, you know, just something to keep an eye on if you're interested mm-hmm. in that kind of thing. Yep. So that's pretty much it for the reprints. Uh, one other thing to note is that there are several cards that were, like, maybe going to rotate out with Amonkhet and Kaladesh, or, you know, maybe they're in Ixalan, but this kind of indicates that they're going to be in standard, they're intended to be in standard for a while. So some of the cards that are in standard right now and are going to stay in standard because of M19 are Essence Scatter, Gift of Paradise, Shock, and Lightning Strike. So it's nice to see, like, this is one of the reasons why it's nice to have a core set. Like, keep these basic effects that standard... you know some decks are sort of constructed around and have some confidence that they're going to be here and we can keep building decks around them when when they rotate so that's that's just a nice little thing to see and i'm glad that that these cards are going to stay legal yeah for sure um you want to kick us off with the white cards uh yeah i I can get started with these white cards um we got a doozy to begin with uh yeah i like this johnny (laughs) yeah a johnny adversary of tyrants so it's a Johnny Planeswalker, four mana, so two white white. Uh, starts at four loyalty. Uh, got a plus one of put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. A minus two of return target creature card with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. And then the ultimate of minus seven is you get an emblem with at the beginning of your end step create three one one white cat creature tokens with lifelink. Yeah, I think this card is is very good. Yeah, this card seems pretty strong in a in a creature deck, especially kind of like a, a small or beat down creature deck. It's playing mm-hmm. a bunch of you know CMC two or less dudes. It can let you bump them up so that they can brawl better in combat with your opponent's creatures. It can get them back from the graveyard. One thing that somebody pointed out that was interesting is that uh, this Johnny works perfectly with Winding Constrictor. You know, it's a winding constrictor is a two mana creature that you can get back, and the counters that you plus uh, that you put on the creatures get doubled. The problem is that uh, Johnny is white white, and yeah. winding constrictor is green black, so hmm. that might be a too difficult of a mana base to support. 
Yeah, if this were like a green black planeswalker or something, then it would be obviously fantastic in a snake deck. But yeah, that's a little tough. Uh, right now, the the best the place that I can see it like fitting in most easily is in some sort of uh, black white deck, because I think the things that you want are good early things to put plus one plus one counters on, and also two mana creatures that you don't mind having in play later in the game. So you can either go a direction with like just solid two drops and kind of some of the most solid two drops that stay good no matter what point the game is at are like Gifted Aetherborn and Glintsleaf Siphoner. Um, and also something like Kite Sail Freebooter could be really good leading into Ajani. But I also see this working really well with like the Knights because putting plus one plus one counters on first striking like kind of hexproof guys is really good returning them to play is really good and also like history of benalia curves really well into this card because it just gives you two creatures to put your plus one plus one counters on so that's really nice so i i see this working pretty well in some sort of black white you know aggressive small ball creature deck yeah for sure i i agree that there's there's gonna be a lot of potential for this card yeah i think you know, we're losing Chandra in, like, three months. I think this is probably not going to be quite as omnipresent of, uh, like, the four-mana Planeswalker in Standard. But I still think that we're going to see a lot of this guy. I, I would I would probably call this guy a B. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to give it a B, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think that he's strong enough to see enough play... Just kind of generally. It is... It's, it's a little... Makes me a little more hesitant to just kind of, like... You know, be sure that that's the case just because the, you know, you have to build around him, right? You can't just throw him in any white deck and expect him to do well. Kind of like Chandra can be thrown in any red deck and do well, you know? So, yeah, right, it'll be right. it'll be interesting to see, you know, if that is too much of a detriment to Johnny's success or if there's just going to be an Johnny deck that is, is good enough. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, maybe if we don't get one at first, like, there's going to be at some point where, like, there are good creatures, good two-mana creatures, and curves that like to get capped off by a Johnny. It'll happen at some point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Next up, we've got Cleansing Nova. Uh, so this is a five-mana sorcery, three white-white. You says, choose one. Destroy all creatures or destroy all artifacts and enchantments. So this is kind of like our replacement for Fumigate, I guess, um, it, but it's got a little more utility. It's our five mana Wrath of God, essentially, that we've you know been able to have access to some form of in standard for a good good minute now. So yeah, it, essentially, it's just going to be the replacement for the 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 Wrath effect uh, once Fumigate leaves. And while they're both in, I, I don't really expect this to see, or I don't expect people to overload too much on that many Wrath effects while we've got both. Um, but yeah. it's just you know, good to note that we've got another one of those effects. This might even be better than Fumigate in some instances. Yeah, uh, I mean, if, if people are playing like really, like really artifact-heavy decks for some, you know, some sort of uh, improvised decks, which may have gotten a little bit of a push from this set, then this has a little more utility. Like, the thing I'm worried about is that the decks that use this, all their removal is enchantment-based, so you can kind of never use the second mode if you've got anything under a seal away or a cast out, because that's just really bad for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's a 5-meta Wrath that has some additional utility, but I, I would think we mostly use Fumigate over it while we've got Fumigate. 
Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, and it's the kind of... The, right now in Standard, the second ability, Destroy All Artifacts and Enchantments, feels really weird to have on a white card, just because white's the color that has all of the enchantments just kind of sitting yeah. around on the battlefield yeah. normally. Uh, you know, you, you're looking at cast-outs and cast-downs, or, or sorry, seal-aways and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, white Search is for the... The enchantment color, so it feels weird having, you know, destroy all artifacts and enchantments on the white card. Just in terms of, like, you know, which decks are going to want it, um, mm-hmm. feels strange, but who yep. knows. But some decks are going to want Wrath, some decks might slightly want the Silver Fumigate, or might want a Split or something like that. I mean, this this card's obviously going to see play, it's fine. Uh, maybe just even the C for now, though. Yeah, um, I think that's just kind fair. of like as the role player. Roleplayer Wrath of God effect. Right. I, I mean, that, and that is one, like, pretty distinguishing thing. Like, I, I, I would give Fumigate a C right now. Like, it's seen plenty of play, but in, like, pretty specific decks. Yeah, um, yeah. We're not in a world, you know, four mana Wrath of God, actual Wrath of God or Supreme Verdict. Like, that's a really powerful card that, like, pushes these control archetypes into a, a you know, kind of rarefied air. There's a reason that we don't get them anymore five mana wrath is is very different from four mana wrath right right and i think that while we do have settled wreckage which is kind of like a four mana wrath that's definitely like four mana sorcery destroy all creatures is something that we're probably not going to have access to in standard anytime soon so you know i think five mana is kind of like where they've decided that they want that effect but it's clear that they do want that effect to be somewhere in standard yep yeah, I think that that's definitely what this reprinting, what this printing shows, is that we're gonna have a five mana wrath for for the foreseeable future. So next up, we've got uh, kind of an interesting one: isolate. So it's a single white instant, and it says exile target permanent with converted mana cost one. So this card is interesting because it's probably more targeted towards eternal formats, if I had to guess. For sure. uh, this effect in standard is not generally going to be very useful like i mean sure there are one mana creatures running around but if you if you have a card in your deck that's specifically targeting that you really want it to just have like have guaranteed hits every time and it's just not going to in standard i don't think like even in the decks that are running one drops yeah removal spells like this only make sense like if i'm gonna if i want to exile target permanent with converted mana cost one like, I need for this card to be good later on in the game. So that means their one-drops need to be effective threats later in the game. So I'm not putting this card in my deck to deal with Llanowar Elves, but I might be putting this card in my deck to deal with, like, uh, Death Shadow or something like that. Right. It, it might have been printed with eyes on Llanowar Elves. I think that there were a lot of things that have been printed yeah, to like keep Llanowar Elves down. <laughs> and I think, honestly, I think that Goblin Chandler earlier was one of those cards that was like, yeah, like a safety mm-hmm. valve of, oh, well, we've got this good card in the format, so Lana Royals can't be that good. But uh, I think they they might have gone a little overboard on Goblin Chain Whirler as being an answer for that, unfortunately. And I think that, you know, the new Plague Mare was also a card that had eyes on keeping Lana Royals down. And maybe even Isolate is another card that was just like, if, you know, under the worst case scenario of Lanarell's taking over standard, we want as many answers as possible. So I could see that being like a reasoning for printing this card. 
Yeah. But that's, as we all know, that's just not the case right now, is that all of these, you know, X1 creatures, people are trying to get as many of those out of their deck as possible. So. <laughs> um, yeah. So honestly, yeah. I'm not, not for standard, I, I really don't expect to see Isolate see any play, really. And it's even hard to kind of pin down points in modern that you would want to see this card, or that you would want to play this card. It's just like, right. not I really mean, I know, an excellent option. I know that like, when you play the, the Grixis Death Shadow Mirror, like, do you still cut some of your fatal pushes in that mirror? Because oh, the, yeah, the threats you, you really care about are the Gurmag Anglers and the Tassikers. So it's not like this is like a, a, a Death Shadow killer. Yeah. Like, it, it has to be some matchup where they've got like lots of different one mana permanents that are like really serious to deal with. And I don't, like, in modern, I don't really see anything like that. Um, maybe Legacy, right. it's a, like a solid one of against delver you know you kill their delvers you kill you kill their death rights you flash it back with snapcaster but yeah i I think it's a pretty narrow sort of sideboard card the card just in general in any format feels extraordinarily narrow and legacy is probably where it's going to be most effective but Mm -hmm. even then i don't know right seems tough it's yeah i'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around why they would print this card yeah and it seems um, mostly worse than fatal push because, like, what non-land permanents that cost one... Yeah. I mean, non-creature permanents that cost one are we really trying to hit with this? Like, yeah. I'm not thinking of too many. Like, is there anything that just, like, needs to be exiled instead of just destroyed? And I, I just don't think so. Yeah. So, you know, but, D, it's like a one-of-sideboard card in weird situations. And that's, right. that's pretty yeah. much it. It might just never see play. Which is unfortunate, but potentially true. All right, uh, moving on. Next up, we have a... Well, look, it's a one-mana creature. Um, Leonin Vanguard. <laughs> so it's a one-mana 1-1. One, one. Cat Soldier. At the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control three or more creatures, Leonin Vanguard gets plus one, plus one until in a turn, and you gain one life. That's it. We got a one-drop for our cat deck. Yeah, so they're, it looks like they're honestly trying to flush out some, some cat... Cat travel cards, and if we're if we're trying to play some sort of like beatdown strategy, this card works pretty well as like a you know a one mana two two that gives you incidental life gain every once in a while, and that works really well with the um, Johnny's Pride Mate that we went over earlier. You know, okay, I've got Lean and Vanguard into Pride Mate into something else. Go to combat, trigger, gain a life, get pump up my Vanguard get a plus one plus one counter on my uh, Johnny's pride mate, you know, we're doing it now, right? So some potential stuff happening over there. And Um, if you're topping off your curve with Crested Sunmare, I mean, this guy gives you that life gain to to trigger your Crested Sunmare. Um, So yeah, potentially, you know, we've got got a lot of potential for some sort of white beatdown strategy. And um, we could potentially see like Benelish Marshall in this archetype as well definitely the next card that we're going to talk about is probably going to want to see play in this deck um yeah. so we've got we've got some options for for kind of like mono white beats yeah. um definitely very vulnerable to chain whirler at least this individual card is yeah oh man something i've noticed when talking about a lot of cards recently is that every time we're talking about just like any card it feels like there's just like a, a pretty good chance that we're gonna end up talking about Goblin Chain Whirler as well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just this like cloud over the format right now. Yeah, and and that and sucks. Boy, 
Yeah. Boy, does it make these one toughness creatures feel not right. Vulnerable. Yeah. Really not. Yeah. Like very good. Because honestly, I I bet looking at Leon and Vanguard in another context of like, whoa, I'm so excited. I get to play this card in a Johnny's Pride Mate, and you know, and, and now we're doing it. You know, we're 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 really getting there. But right. but in the face of Goblin Chain World, it's just like, oh, it's just it's just gonna be a one one on my opponent's turn and die. Yeah, and <laughs> it know? also it also implies that you're playing Legion's Landing and maybe like Serbo Exhibition or something like that. And all of these cards just they feel like they're not worth the paper they're printed on right now. Yeah. Uh and, and that's that's tough. Right. So things to keep an eye on if Goblin Chain Whirler gets banned in standard, which honestly I think that they should do that. Generally I'm not a proponent of bands and i think that i'm gonna be one of the last people to jump on the bandwagon of all right this card needs to get out of here but cabin chain roller just given the context of how we're talking about this card so often going through the set review and we're only like a couple of cards in i know we've already talked about it we've already talked about it what three or four times right Ugh. um i can't count i've lost track right yeah exactly exactly so it's just silly um I don't think they're going to ban it at least until rotation. Because what happens with rotation is we lose Hazret and Chandra and Glorybringer, and that really reduces the power level of these red decks and, and the you know their capability for adjustment and, and that sort of thing. And I think we will see significantly fewer red decks after rotation unless we get some crazy mythics in, in the new Ravnica set. But... You know, we'll see what happens after that. I'm sure Chain Whirler will still see a decent amount of play, but if the power level of the deck is reduced enough overall, then it could become just a part of the metagame instead of, like, the defining card of the metagame. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Anyways, next up we've got uh, another cat. So this one is Lin and War Leader. It's 4 mana, 4-4, four, four, so that's a pretty good rate. 2 white-white, and it says whenever Lin and War Leader attacks create two one one white cat creature tokens with lifelink that are tapped and attacking i will say this one is a lot more exciting once chandra and Glorybringer don't just like 187 it immediately after it comes into play <laughs> yeah it's a four mana four four oh it's gonna die to everything that my red opponent's playing yeah. um yeah no i mean this card seems really strong honestly uh and if you have like other synergies with like pumping up your other creatures uh, it seems really powerful. Like, just this guy in Benelish Marshall, you know, that's, like, yeah. a, an excellent curve. And, you know, then all my dudes are big and attacking and hitting for good chunks of damage. So I can definitely see this C play in, in kind of the similar deck as Lean and Vanguard. Just as, like, a, you know, a, a beat-down white deck. So I think this guy's pretty strong. And I bet it would it will C play in, in that archetype if, it, if that archetype ends up being pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm prepared to give this guy like a c hero of bladehold was a very good card i think this compares reasonably to hero of bladehold i mean we're in a different you know environment and everything and chain whirler makes go wide decks not great and chandra and Glorybringer make four mana four fours not great but they are gone in three months and i think there will be space for this guy at some point in standard yeah yeah for sure yeah right it's just i think in a vacuum strong enough to at some point People are going to crack this guy out, and, and it'll be good. Yeah. I mean, give it haste, and it's fantastic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so next up, we've got Militia Burglar. Bugler. Uh, 
Mich- Militia Bugler? I don't even know. <laughs> I think it's Militia Bugler. I think he's got a bugle. I think that's oh, what. Bu- oh, what a is bugle. <laughs> oh, I feel so enlightened. Okay, Militia Bugler. I mean, I'm going to call him Militia Bugler, though. <laughs> Burglar. Bugler. <laughs> Um, so, uh, anyways, this guy, so, he's a three-mana human soldier, 2-3. He's got vigilance. When Militia Bugler enters the battlefield, uh, look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card with power two or less from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So, essentially, this guy, he's ETBs for impulse for a creature with power two or less. I'm only excited to cast him if I have an Oketra's Monument in play. And if I do, then I think this card is quite good. Yeah. Uh, right. So this guy seems like another exactly what you're talking about. Uh, Oketra's Monument, you know, role player, where, you know, your 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 deck is stock full of things like, like the value guys that we've been talking about. And he's another two power or less for Mentor of the Meek. He finds Mentor of the Meek as well yeah. so that's all Finds pretty a good. guy for mentor of the meek yeah right I mean, yeah in it's... this very specific deck i think he does quite a bit of work yeah um people are also talking about him in modern humans potentially oh interesting and i think my current thoughts on that are maybe a sideboard card maybe mm-hmm. um, yeah. i'm not really that excited about this guy in uh in humans but who knows he could be fine. He's a decent body. The three mana is kind of the kicker, though, for me. Is that, you know, if we could have this effect for two mana, I'm in 100% for modern humans. Mm-hmm. But at three mana, it's it's a bit much to, you know, just impulse for a non-mana strider creature. Right, right. But that And that that is one of the problems, is a lot of times mana strider is the best guy in your deck, and you really want that. Um, yeah. And he doesn't get mantis rider. And it's hard to board in these threes unless you're boarding out threes. So you need to like bring him in, in in matchups where you specifically don't want reflector mages or something like that. I mean, it's not. It's certainly not impossible. Like guys who get guys are really good in either vile decks. You know, there's a reason that like the recruiters are really powerful cards in Legacy. But uh, I, I'm not sure that this guy quite cuts it. Yeah, yeah. Next up, we've got remorseful cleric. So this is a 2-mana, two 2-1 two flying spirit cleric, and it has the ability Sacrifice Remorseful Cleric, Exile All Cards from Target Player's Graveyard. This, this is a beautifully designed hate card. I really like this. Yes. So this card, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I just like how you can fit it into creature decks, like in standard, like it might make main decks in certain weird situations. It's not like, you know, it's not like the giant haymaker hate card that something like rest in pieces it is a one shot like solid one shot effective exiling a graveyard but grid graveyard decks can rebuild after they get their graveyards exiled once you know it's a spirit so in some weird deck like modern spirits that actually matters two one flying is a body that that can actually do something uh unless it gets chain whirlered but yeah, I mean, I think that this card is is great in chord decks in modern. I think that it's good in like spirit tribal if you actually want to play that deck, and it's the stats are fine for you to play it in standard if you really want some incidental graveyard hate. I, I think this is a good card. I agree. Yeah, I think it'll see some play in standard. You know, maybe maybe not a ton, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, definitely definitely some utility play. 
especially if Godfarrow's gift continues to be as you know big of a deal as it is. But I yeah I what I'm really excited about this card for is actually modern. There are a ton of decks in modern that would love to have this guy. The obvious one is Spirits, you know, it's just another 2-1 Spirit for the Spirits deck that's really good. And Spirits got a lot from this set for Modern as well, so that's pretty exciting. But even, you know, uh, White Taxes would love this guy, probably as a replacement for, like, Rest in Peace, which is interesting. Right, because the philosophy uh, of the Taxes decks is, like, if I can put this ability on a creature, that's where I want it. Exactly, yeah, for sure. And honestly, he this could be another honorary human. There are a lot of non-human creatures that humans can support playing. Uh, and generally that means that the creatures are... One in a white is like the perfect mana cost to be able to play. Because we're mm-hmm. already playing things like Kataki and Selfless Spirit... Uh, so, you know, a, a, you know, a one in a white spirit is <laughs> turns out to be in the human's deck more often than not. Because it just works really well with any Aetherfile deck, right? You get to, you kind of get to get your opponent if you have a Vile on two and they, like, do some cre- some graveyard stuff that you can snipe with your Remorseful Cleric off of an Aetherfile. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited about this guy. When I'm playing Living End, I have been, I've started boarding in Ingot Chewers, which I don't usually like doing against Vile decks. I don't. I, I think it, most decks uh, boarding in artifact removal against Vile decks that don't have other incidental artifacts is usually a losing battle, but I have started doing it so that I don't have to live in fear of a uh, meddling mage getting flashed in in response to a Cascade spell, naming Living yeah. End and stopping me from casting Living End. And now if they have Remorseful Cleric as well, then I'd definitely will need to kill those ether vials so they don't get flashed in and counter my spell so yeah um yeah Yeah. but it's funny though because i it's it's kind of weird though because i see remorseful cleric maybe potentially making some graveyard strategies better in modern because i think that there are a lot of white decks like death and taxes for example that Mm -hmm. play rest in peace and then I think that Remorseful Cleric would replace Rest in Peace in those decks, and that in some way might make the graveyard strategies even better, hmm. which is kind of weird. Well, then might it be wrong to replace Rest in Peace with the Cleric, um, or is it no? Because from the perspective of the 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 white deck that's playing it, I think that Cleric is just better utility than the Rest in mm-hmm. Peace. Like any vile deck is clearly going to want Cleric over Rest in Peace. The kind of the downside for for graveyard decks is that I think humans is the one deck that otherwise doesn't play any graveyard interaction, and now they might because they have such easy access to this card. So that that could in turn make things even worse. Um, but I was just thinking about how oh some people might replace recipes with this card, and that's just good for dredge. You know, dredge right. can easily fight through a one shot exile all of your graveyard. You know. You know, if if you if you know to expect that, you can you can play in such a way that doesn't just get blown up by it. And then once they do use your thing, you can go ham, right? But rest in peace as as just like a nope, you'd never get a graveyard is much tougher. Sure, sure makes sense. But yeah, I guess that's my thoughts on remorseful cleric. Yep. Uh, I mean, I think this, this I, hard to grade this sort of card, but I think we're gonna see this in lots of different places. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. I think that this card will pop up. Maybe even everywhere. Like, even, even I'm thinking, like, Legacy as well, potentially somewhere. 
Oh, this uh, definitely feels like, like a, a legacy it's just card. Like a, it's like a really good utility hate spell that beats down when you want it to. You know. So. Yeah, I mean the fact that either recruiter can get this card is is really really good for for like legacy taxes. Like that's that's quite strong. Yes, very true. Very true. Yeah, the more the more like utility white creatures they play, the better off for any of the recruiter cards. Yep. But yeah. So next up, we've got kind of an interesting one, and I I alluded to it earlier in the show. A Johnny's Welcome. This is a single mana enchantment. It says whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. I don't really see this as playable in anything other than like a Crested Sunbear deck. I don't think we're yeah. going to get any sort of, like, Soul Sisters thing in Standard, regardless of the fact that we, we do have a Johnny's Pride made. But right. uh, I think you got to be going all the way up to Crested Sunmare as your payoff here. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of incidental life gain now, it feels like, so this almost even seems unnecessary. Like, right. if, you know, if, we, if we're getting enough incidental life gain elsewhere, then why have this weird enchantment that literally only does that? But, yeah, I mean, you know... If if we build the deck and we say, all right, we just need more life gain stuff, I could see throwing some of these in. I think it's pretty weak as a sideboard card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because we already have authority card. Authority, authority of the, of the console. Which is yeah. just better, it feels like, in every way than this card. Like, you're sure. playing it against creature decks. That have haste creatures. And yeah, and like just being able to nix any of the haste creatures and make all their regular dudes come to play tapped. Uh, it just means like that you can race really well. So Johnny's Welcome feels like just a worse version of Authority of the Consoles most of the time. Yep. I don't know. So like a, a D. It's it's probably just, yeah, like you said, like there's so many better ways to gain life, I think, in, in decks that care about that. Um, so this is probably just not quite going to make it. So next up we've got an interesting one, though. Resplendent Angel. So this is a... A three mana, three three flyer. So one white white for three three flyer. It says at the beginning of each end step, if you've gained five or more life this turn, create a four four white angel creature token with flying and vigilance. It also has a activated ability for three white white white. So six mana total. Until end of turn, resplendent angel gets plus two plus two and gains lifelink. Right, so we've got a 3-3 flyer for 3, which is good. Uh, and then the caveat of, or the, the ability of whenever you gain 5 or more life at the, at the beginning of your end step, you get a, an angel. So that works pretty well with a couple of cards. Lyra comes to mind as just a, I'm going to gain 5 right now, and then I'll get another 4-4 angel. So that's pretty right. good. Lyra also gives all of your other angels plus 1, plus 1 in lifelink. So that works even better with what's been an angel. To be um, fair, most games where you're keeping a Lyra in play and connecting it, you're you're doing pretty good without any other card. Right, involved. right, yeah. So it is. It does feel a little win more at times, but sometimes you just need a little more than just Lyra it to be justified to be able to attack profitably. Right. Sometimes Lyra is just like, all right, stabilized by playing a Lyra and just holding up the ground for a while. But if you've got like other lifelink angels in the air, then you can really turn the corner pretty well and just like attack which is much better if your opponent's like drawing to some removal spell or whatever yeah and i mean this feels like a good way of like overloading the remove like the the way that some of these like green white decks work is you just play like monsters and then you hope that you have more monsters than they have removal and this curve of um and this isn't this is even pretty much in mono white 
if you go like turn three resplendent angel turn four shalai turn five lyra like they they need to kill all of those creatures or they're going to die like if if they just if they don't kill shalai then your lyra is gonna live and lyra is gonna kill them if they like spend the removal spells on Shalai and then Lyra, like the Resplendent Angel is doing work, and then you're on six mana, and if they don't, if they're not able to hold up instant speed removal, like, if you trigger this end of turn ability, like, you're probably just going to win. Getting a, a free Angel is, is really good. Yeah, um, for sure. So I think that sort of playing these, like, pretty powerful mid-rangey efficient Angel threats, like, that can just beat some people. Yeah, and the curve, the dream curve as I think you described, is, is definitely one that not a lot of people are going to be able to handle very well. So that's that's pretty mm-hmm. cool. You know, it does die to a raid, lightning strike, harness lightning. Like, all the good red removal kills this for a mana advantage, which isn't ideal. But outside of red, you know, it's, it's a little bit tougher. Like, this does not die to fatal push. You know, I guess it dies to seal away if you're not being careful about that or if you are forced to run it in. But, you know, it's it's like three mana, three, three flyer is a fine stat line most of the time. I I think this card is pretty good. Yeah, I like this card a lot. I, I definitely think that it has a lot of potential to see play or even like create an angel's archetype, right? Just kind of mm-hmm. like big big white is kind of like the idea that i'm having where we've got a, a bunch of big angels and stuff and then just right. like you know good rule spells and just like other good mid-rangey cards is like i could see being a a real deck so yeah I, I think that this card has a lot of potential having enough angels that that you can get value out of lyra the turn you play her instead of having to untap with her is pretty real it's it's not the easiest thing in the world to get rid of the lyra like at instant speed you know, you need to be holding up your Vraska's Contempt or something like that. And to be able to get in a big lifelinking swing the turn you play Lyra, like, that makes Lyra a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I guess, like, a, a C... Uh, I mean, we're not going to see this in, like, a ton of different archetypes, but I think that, like, this could make an angel deck be a real thing. Yeah, I, I think it's a C. It's definitely... it. it yeah, it could be a C. It might be it might be better to give it a D cuz since it is sure. a little speculative, but yep, could be. But yeah, I think it's a fine card with with a fair amount of potential. I agree. Next up we've got Sun Cleanser. So Sun Cleanser is a 2 mana 1/4, which is pretty nice. Human cleric. When Sun Cleanser enters the battlefield, choose one. Remove all counters from target creature. It can't have counters put on it for as long as Sun Cleanser remains on the battlefield. Or, target opponent loses all counters. That player can't get counters for as long as Sun Cleanser remains on the battlefield. Alright, finally, um, some hate for the energy menace. For right. Yeah. So, uh, finally, we have a card that strips somebody of all of their energy. A bit too late on that one, I would say. A little bit. But, yeah, I mean, this card is, is definitely interesting... I feel like it just barely works just wrong enough to not really see play where I initially thought I would want it to see play. You could see potential of putting it as like another win con or another another combo piece, I guess I should say, in the Devoted Dreer decks. But I'm pretty sure that the way that this is worded, it says it can't have counters put on it 
for as long as Sun Cleanser remains on the battlefield. That just means that you can't activate the ability of Devoted Druid. Yeah, so I think that's how it works. You, right. It doesn't work how you want it to. And then the other thing that came to mind for me was, oh, maybe we can have this be an Infect Hoser. But its target opponent loses all counters. Not You can't target yourself. So it just kind of like barely failed to fit in where I wanted it to initially, uh, which is a little disappointing for me. Yeah. But like maybe it sees some utility elsewhere. I think it's very clearly supposed to hose energy in standard, but energy just almost doesn't exist anymore. Honestly, like the only thing I see it doing in standard is that it comes into play and it kills a walking ballista, but like that's not, that's too narrow for one card. Yeah. So yeah. I... You know, this is potentially a powerful effect if we get, you know, a, a dominant strategy like energy again, but I don't really see this doing anything, really. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's just a, a bit of a whiff in my mind, unfortunately, but I think that's where I'm yep. going to land on that one. Next up, we have uh, Valiant Knight. So this guy is a 4-mana, uh, 3-4 human knight. It says, other knights you control get plus 1, plus 1, so it's a knight lord. And it has five mana, knights you control, gain double strike until end of turn. So, so definitely some power here wrapped up in this little card. It can definitely be like top end of some knights beatdown deck if we have enough knights in standard to make that viable. We do have some very powerful white knight options, right? We've got yeah. History Banalia and some other things. So just like imagine, you know, playing History and then playing this guy and then the next turn you activate attack for billions of damage <laughs> well that's literally you know, that's lethal turn that on history triggers. right right when yeah. your history triggers then you get you know two four power knights with with or two five power knights with double strike this is a five power knight with double strike you know that's you're attacking for like 30 just off of history valiant knight like threat of activation yeah, of exactly knights you control yeah so that's yeah you know just two cards that's a lot of damage if this also has synergy you're running the the black and the white knights from Dominaria. Like th these are, th this has a lot of power to it for a, a four mana lord. Right. So yeah. So it seems like knights is definitely another interesting option for like pushed archetypes in 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 the white color space. So it's something to keep an eye on, I guess. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty uh, speculative. You know, like four mana creatures like this tend not to be. Uh, super playable but this is a lot of stats and and board effect for four mana so yeah i agree i agree uh so it'll be interesting to see kind of where that is is taken i guess yeah like a a d for now like it it does one specific thing and does it pretty well that specific thing is gonna have to be good for this card to be good that's all of our white cards so moving on to blue, we kind of have a, a big old artifact theme. So I think a lot of these cards are going to get a lot worse when Kaladesh rotates out in three months. Yeah. But, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that. So we're starting off with Gearsmith Prodigy, which is one blue for a 1-2 human artificer. It gets plus one plus O oh as long as you control an artifact. So kind of weird, like blue gets this conditional one mana 2-2, two two, which is not you know, a super normal blue card. Yeah. I mean, we're going to need strange. some artifact deck that is aggressive, wants a, a one mana 2-2. Two two. Uh, there's some stuff in here. A couple of the cards we'll go over that, that make that potentially okay. But, 
uh, I think most of the time, these sort of like aggressive blue one drops end up not having very much support. Yeah. Right. So, I, I mean, I could see potentially a like a blue red beatdown artifacts matters deck. Yeah. I could see a potentially a blue black like scrap heap scrounger beatdown strategy, maybe. But we, you know, just just Gearsmith Prodigy and Scrap Heap Scoundrel isn't enough to make a deck, right? You, right. We have to have enough other things going on to make that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if if any of those archetypes come together. But I, my my hopes aren't very high for that. Yeah, I I don't really see it yet. But maybe some deck wants a a two two. Uh, who knows? Unlikely. Uh, um, so yeah, definitely speculative. Speculative. Yeah. Like, barely a D in, in my mind. Uh, maybe we're doing something with this and Inventor's Apprentice, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the mana's just really rough to make that happen. So Yeah, for sure, for sure. But yeah, absolutely. Next we've got Mistcaller, which is oh, yeah. one blue for a 1-1 one, one Merfolk Wizard. Sacrifice Mistcaller until end of turn if a non-token creature would enter the battlefield and it wasn't cast, exile it instead. So, Containment Priest effect on a 1-mana one 1-1, one, one, but it's a one-shot. So, it only it, you know you only get to get them once, right? Mm-hmm. So, honestly, I think that this is definitely going to be... It's, it's definitely printed towards Eternal. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, printed towards older formats. I, I think that, like, Legacy is the format that I would be most interested in looking at where this could fit in. You know, it could be a sideboard card against, you know, particular strategies in Legacy or something like that. Uh, in Standard, I, I'm not really seeing, you know, we're, like, we're not really cheating creatures into play in Standard. No, really, not so. at all. It seems like it seems like this is going to be a big whiff there. But, yeah, potentially for, like, Legacy, it could find a home in some deck that wants another answer to, like, Reanimator decks or Show and Tell or stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it does come down a turn earlier, which is very important when you're playing against Black Red Reanimator. One other thing is that in Ether Vial decks, uh, although there are, you know, Ether Vial decks, the good ones tend to be white and not, not blue. But in Ether Vial decks, uh, Containment Priest is kind of awkward because it turns off your Ether Vial if it's in play, and this does not do that. So that's kind of nice. Right, yeah, you get to pick your spot with this guy instead of just like having that static effect out there forever. Which yeah. is definitely utility in a lot of uh, in a lot of decks. So, you know, this is like kind of a, a role player in some eternal decks, but I don't think it's it's gonna see a ton of play. It's definitely not gonna like shut down reanimator strategies for yeah, good yeah, or yeah. anything like that. For sure, for sure. So, you know, a D, whatever. Next is Mystic Archaeologist. One in a blue for a two one human wizard and has three and two blue, draw two cards. So Eat your heart out, Azure Mage. This is a, yeah, Azure Mage on better. steroids over here. This guy's yeah. got two cards. So that's yeah. I mean, that's definitely an interesting one. It feels like a limited bomb. That's not really going to see much constructed play. That would be my assessment. Yeah, it feels like to me the place for this in constructed is as your juking sideboard strategy for control mirrors. Um, oh yeah, this can, I like that. This can give blue-white, like, a glint-sleeve siphoner sideboard plan, kind of. Uh, and and that's that's where it makes the most sense to me. You don't start at main deck because it's bad against a lot of stuff, like, even disregarding Chain Whirler. 
But, uh, yeah, as like a, hey, you didn't keep in any fatal pushes because they're bad against me. Here's a two-drop that's going to kill you. I I think this is a good card. Yeah, potentially. But, you know, the format needs to be in the right place where you you want that sort of sideboard strategy for your your mirrors, uh, for your control matchups in general. Um, Right. So pretty narrow use for it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think that control has been printed... We've we've printed a like a a trump card for control mirrors, like we've had those in the past, uh, like mm-hmm. per like ancient and stuff like that. Were kind of like the big control finishers that control had a really tough time dealing with, and we'll get to chromium later. But and you think that may uh, just be a better sideboard strategy? Yeah, than I the... think that that's just going to be like if we're going to be those colors, then that's just going to be the default. Win the control mirror card. Sure, unfortunately. Sure. Yep, but this definitely is a possibility. If for some reason you don't want to run one of those colors that Chromium is or something like that. Right. But yeah, I, I, I definitely hear what you're saying. Yeah. And I, I say it unfortunately just because, like, you know, I think it would be really cool for somebody to use Mystic Archaeologist in that way. But we just have this, like, big dumb idiot that's just, like, everything <laughs> that you want in a control finisher. Sure, um, sure. So. Right, so D for this one. Next up, we've got Nexus of Fate. And we've talked about this before. This is yeah, five blue this blue. This is the controversial one. Yeah, quite controversial. Five blue blue for an instant. Take an extra turn after this one. If Nexus of Fate will be put into your graveyard from anywhere, reveal Nexus of Fate and shuffle it into its owner's library instead. So instant speed, uh, seven mana time walk with a weird like shuffle effect. It's pretty crazy because it's like, uh, this is another one of those one card infinite combos where if you don't have a deck you just get to cast this card over and over and over again yeah <laughs> that effect is just so strange to me and it even says if it would be put into the graveyard from anywhere reveal it and put it and shuffle it into your library so like right the, even if they counter it or something right that's like the um what's the like the fifteen fifteen worm guy a world world spine worm yeah, yeah. world spine worm he he has the same text and it's, it's just yeah. a strange text to play with but but yeah, I mean, next fate, who knows if it'll see any play? God, um, right? <laughs> honestly, I'm I'm hoping not for a weird reason, in that it would just make the buy box promos like cost a lot of money, and then that's awkward for various reasons because it's just like not easily accessible to people. I know some people are kind of excited to be brewing like a standard turbo fog deck, like we got. Oh, for sure. And I, yeah, I yeah. didn't include it on the list of like cards we're going to evaluate but there is a green fog for two mana in this set um there are a couple of weird enchantments and stuff uh that like draw extra cards potentially or mill i think none of them actually made this list of playables because i didn't really think that it was very likely but (laughs) who knows man somebody could brew up there is some power we haven't seen this is the first instant speed time walk we've ever had so that may be good enough to be a real thing it's a pretty huge threat to cast at the end of the turn in like a control mirror. Either you're going to force them to fight you over this at the end of their turn, or you get a chance, you know, two turns to get your Teferi into play. So this has potential for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely think it has some sort of some sort of strange potential to be to be played. And where exactly that'll be is to be determined. I think it could yeah. be a weird control mirror card, or like what you're saying like some sort of weird turbo fog enabler where you take an extra turn because you've got some sort of howling mind effect or something like that 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, other than that, it feels like, yeah, it'll be yeah. interesting to see if it play, sees any play. Because it, it's just, taking an extra turn is just a, such a powerful effect, right? That people are going to look for where they can fit that in. But, you know, we'll see We'll see if that ends up being anywhere in standard. Uh, yeah. Definitely speculative. Yeah, speculative as hell, I would say, for sure. So next up, we've got Psy, Master Thopterist. So this is two and a blue for a 1-4 human artificer. Whenever you cast an artifact spell, create a 1-1 colorless Thopter artifact creature token with flying, and one and a blue, sacrifice two artifacts, draw a card is his activated ability. I, I like this card. This card seems like it's got a lot of power built into it. It definitely has a lot of potential. It's got, you know, some, it, it, you know, it only fits in kind of like one or two decks. Yeah. Right? Um, maybe even just one deck. It's just got to have a lot of artifacts in it. But it, in right. that deck, it feels pretty powerful, right? And, you know, we already kind of saw like the, the blue-green Karn decks from the Pro Tour that mm-hmm. one of the teams put together. Uh, that we're just kind of like playing a bunch of weird incidental artifacts like the Implement of Ferocity or whatever that card was and uh, some other stuff. So I could, I could definitely see this guy going pretty well in that like recursive. So, right, so the recursive like weird like Implement of Ferocity, getting back other stuff. Every time you cast mm-hmm. it, now you get like a Thopter to go along with it and you can sack it and something else to draw a card. You know, sacking yeah. a like a map and another like and your artifact it just turns into cycle, which is really good. So yeah, a lot of a lot of potential for this guy in yeah. in the artifact shells. He's also really good with Mox Amber, probably the best legend we've seen so far with Mox Amber. So that's kind of nice true. if you can build a deck that that card works in. And yeah, obviously the one ones are not very good against Goblin Chain Whirler, but. That's that's a caveat that we have a lot of going forward. Um, the one four body for three is pretty solid. Like he doesn't die to the two mana red removal. Doesn't die to fatal push. Like the all of the you know early game removal really doesn't get this guy. You got to get all the way up to like the your Vraska's contempts and your cast outs and stuff like that. So that's that's a pretty nice spot to be just to be immune to a lot of removal since he's your your kind of value engine. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. He only really fits into the one deck, which is able to cast a lot of artifacts and then make use of a bunch of Thopters. But it doesn't take making a lot of Thopters before you've gotten a ton of value out of this guy. So Yeah, I mean, you know, having a 1-1 flying creature seems innocuous, I guess, on first glance. But once we've got three or four yep. or five, you know, th- now we're talking, right? And that's like a big Air Force, and that can can win a game on its own, right? You know, I, making a 1-1 flyer is definitely no joke. Like, if, yep. especially if that's, like, an incidental thing that you get from casting most of the spells in your deck. Then, you know, then we're doing it. So I think that this guy definitely has a lot of power built in. Yep. Unfortunately, once Kaladesh rotates, there might just not be the artifacts to make this guy do anything. Right, right. Yeah, and that is that is kind of, like, a weird, you know, thing about it, where we, we might only get, like, three months or so to, to play around with this guy. Yep. But I'm looking forward to trying him out in the next three months. For sure. So something like a D, but could just be really powerful in the deck that uses him. Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment. Like, like there's a lot of potential upside here. Um, next up, we've got another two and a blue human artificer. This is Skilled Animator. So one three for three mana. When Skilled Animator enters the battlefield, target artifact you control becomes an artifact creature with base power and toughness five five. 
for as long as skilled animator remains on the battlefield. Yeah, so uh, blue cards that turn artifacts into five fives. We now we have another one of those effects. So that's pretty fun. Yeah. What was the old one called? And soul artifact. The scissors. Soul artifact. Yeah. And that card was really strong. Honestly, it was really um, strong. That you know we had uh, we had some like powerful artifacts to to enchant with in soul artifact back in the day, including uh, ornithopter and. Darksteel Citadel was pretty uh, good. Darksteel Citadel, yeah, those were definitely good options. And do we still have Ornithopter in, in Standard, is that, or am I just crazy? We do, I can't, I don't, because it's it in, was Kaladesh. in Kaladesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know that we have the payoffs for putting, like, a zero mana O2 artifact creature. Like, like this, this true, thing is true. an okay payoff with it, but, you know, we don't have other stuff that that actually works with it i don't think that deck had like ghostfire blade as like a another powerful thing to do on cheap zero mana creatures or cheap artifact creatures yeah right we had a lot of payoffs back then but maybe not anymore but like one one artifact creature one artifact that's actually pretty good to do this on is like this permanently cruise heart of kirin as a five five and that's kind of cute you know, just like turns your heart of Kieran into a five-five vigilance flying. That's kind of nice. Um, I don't know. Like this has some potential. It's three mana instead of two. The one-three body is kind of more of a liability than actually helpful. So I think it's, I think it's worse than in Soul Artifact in a lot of ways. And not having an indestructible artifact to target with it is definitely, you know, makes it a lot worse. But if there's some deck that wants gearsmith prodigy the the blue mana 2-2 if you control an artifact then it probably wants skilled animator like turning a prophetic prism into a 5-5 or something is good yeah i I agree but i would be kind of surprised if this turns out to be around for that long in standard right 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 it's uh, i think it has a brief window to potentially see play in kind of the similar deck that sai is going to see play in Mm -hmm. um but beyond that just not really not really good yeah. there. Yeah, and I'm much more excited for a card like Psy than I am for this guy. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, I just think that, you know, like, if the Psy deck turns out to be really good, then it's likely that Skilled Animator is one of the pieces of that deck. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Right, because if you have a 1-1 one, one Thopter and you turn it into a 5-5, five, five, you know, that's a lot more damage, yeah. Now we're talking. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So next up, we've got Supreme Phantom, which is one in a blue for a 1-3 spirit. It has flying, and other spirits you control get plus one, plus one. We did it, boys. We got a spirit lord. We got a spirit lord. A two-mana two spirit mana. lord. Yeah. So, I mean, if we're if you are one of the degenerates that wants to cast Collected Company for spirits in modern, this, <laughs> and this card I know is a couple, for you. So that's, that's good. <laughs> I don't see this seeing play in standard unless we get a bunch of like aggressive blue something spirits in, in Ravnica. That's super speculative. But in modern, there is a deck that probably wants this card and it'll go right in. Yeah, I, I think this is an easy include into modern spirits. I know a lot of people who are excited about that, so that's pretty cool. But yeah, in standard, I don't think that there are going to be enough spirits to really make that a deck. But it is it's a cool thing to see printed for sure. Yep. Whatever grade makes sense for that, for being a <laughs> fringe deck in modern, that's that's what it is, I think. 
Yeah. So the last blue card that we're looking at is Tezzeret Artifice Master. This is a five mana Planeswalker, Tezzeret, uh, three blue blue. He's got five loyalty to start with, which is, uh, this is Karn levels of loyalty to start with, so that's pretty good. Plus one is create a 1-1 colorless Thopter artifact creature token with flying. Zero, draw a card. If you control three or more artifacts, draw two cards instead. And minus nine, you get an emblem with, at the beginning of your end step, search your library for a permanent card, put it onto the battlefield, and then shuffle your library. So this is kind of a, a theme in the Planeswalkers from this set. It looks like they're kind of a little bit restrictive in the types of decks that you can put them in. And this guy clearly requires you to be in this blue artifact-heavy deck. Yeah, right. The, the Planeswalkers all in the set seem to be very targeted towards very, very particular archetypes. Mm -hmm. And this is just kind of going along with that trend. Yeah, again, this could be another like pretty potentially very strong card in the blue artifacts deck. But it's just kind of, it's really tough to see what those look like off the cuff. Right, right. I, I mean, it that zero drawing two cards is really good. We've never had a Planeswalker that draws you two cards. And if you can just do that a couple of times, you're so far ahead. Like, the fact that is zero drawing cards can, like, fuel your Psy Master Thopterist. That's, that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I think... The deck that this makes the most sense to me in is a deck that's able to like go wide with a bunch of Thopters to protect it, and that seems like a deck that's not very good against Goblin Chain Whirler. Uh, and in general, I think that the like play patterns and the things that this Planeswalker wants you to do are not very good against the red decks right now, but. Maybe post-rotation, when we have fewer Chain Whirlers, fewer super-aggressive red decks, this could find a, a place. But then we're also losing a lot of our good artifacts at that time, too. So I, I think this is going to be a tough one to make work. But that payoff of drawing two cards is quite powerful. Yes, two cards is quite a lot. And I'm, I'm sure that if this guy's seeing play, then the, his, his zero is going to be, I guess, turned on in quotes. Um, pretty much most, if not all, of the time. And I think any other use case for it, if you're thinking of trying to run this as like a value planeswalker, like, hey, he can make blockers for himself and then I can draw some cards with him. I think pretty much any consideration like that, he is completely muscled out of the conversation by the existence of Teferi. True. Yeah, yeah, The Right. He's he's not going to see play in just like any old, you know, vacuum, right? He's, he's only really going to see play, I'm sure, in some sort of artifact matters yeah. deck most of the time but i could be wrong on that maybe he's just like inherently powerful enough on his own that he just like you know he makes his own artifact and then he starts drawing two cards or whatever but you know in in a standard format as as hostile as it is right now i, I don't see that being the case right. but i could potentially see him being a, a, a powerhouse in an artifacts shell sure but yeah again in one like pretty specific deck and if he never saw play in standard i wouldn't honestly be that surprised like the improvised decks which maybe we finally have enough to get them there but we like keep saying that and the improvised decks never become part of standard um they get a couple of tools potentially here whether it's like psi master thopterist or one of one or two of the cheap artifacts in the set so maybe uh we will see you know i, I don't think i can really give him more than a d for now because it could just never never see any play and that wouldn't be too surprising 
<laughs> potentially, potentially. Um, you want to hit us with the black cards then? All right. So first up, we've got Bone Dragon. So this is a five mana, five four flyer, three black black for a dragon skeleton. The solid type line. I'm a fan of that type line. Uh, dragon skeleton. Yes. Oh yeah, there's some sweet sweet uh, creature types floating around in the set. So that's fun. So he has a an activated ability of pay five mana, three black black, and exile seven other cards from your graveyard. Return Bone Dragon from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So if you're if you've got a full graveyard and you know five mana, essentially you can cast this guy from your graveyard, and he comes into play tapped. So that's you know it's an interesting like late game consideration. Graveyards fill up much faster than I think people realize, especially in like the longer games. So I think that this guy you know if you're looking for some sort of like resilient threat could be fine, but it mostly comes across to me as just a a limited bomb. Yeah, from my perspective. I mean, I've definitely heard people like talking about this. I. It's, like, kind of potentially a way for, like, a graveyard deck to get around certain types of graveyard hate. But I'm not even sure which types those are. Like, like this isn't a great, like, plan B for Dredge because it, like, doesn't beat Grafdigger's Cage. It doesn't beat Rest in Peace. Like, it's, it's not, like, giving you new dimensions really yeah i mean the and the the five mana price tag on this guy for both his activated ability and his his like actual cost i think is Mm -hmm. just gonna put him out of the conversation for any graveyard deck like sure it's cool to like you know dredge your stinkweed dip and hit this guy and then you have this guy that you can cast or whatever but you're spending five mana on him and that's just not what the dredge decks are about you know um so, like, maybe some, like, standard deck wants him because the deck is built around just, like, a lot of incidental value and the game's going really long and then you can cast this guy a couple times in a row. But even then, yeah, you know, this is, I, this I is just, the best payoff. I don't really see it. And there's too much, like, especially in standard right now, like, the removal for five mana creatures is Vraska's Contempt and, and Cast Out, so... This guy yeah. doesn't fare super well against those. He's not he's not hitting the graveyard very often once he once he gets down. So yeah, I I mean yeah. I uh, I think I, that this card's overhyped. I mean if we're gonna give anything an F in this set review, it's it's probably gonna be this guy. Yeah, I, I'm gonna agree with that. I I just I'm not really seeing it see play too much, yeah. unfortunately. The next one I think has some more potential. So yeah, uh, next up we've got Demon of Catastrophes. So this is two black black. For a 6-6 Flying Trample Demon. So it's 4 mana for a 6-6 Flying Trample Demon. But it has the caveat of, uh, as an additional cost to cast this spell, sacrifice a creature. Yeah, so this is pretty cool. Like, this is a stat line, you know, when we looked at this before, you know, this is a stat line that we've seen before. Like, the 4 mana 6-6 Flying Trample with some drawback. As long as that drawback is manageable for your deck, then this gigantic creature is a reasonable payoff 6-6 flying trample is a is quite a monster yeah and there are a few just kind of like incidental like value creatures and that's kind of like what you're going to be looking to sacrifice i guess with this guy if you're sacrificing like a dust legion gelet or something similar just like any old value creature or something that's you know that you've gotten use out of 
then yeah, I mean, you know, slamming this guy in turn four, six, six flying trample. It dodges a lot of removal right now, the, at least the red removal. Even the top end on red removal of... Yeah, Chandra, Glorybringer, Fight with Fire. Yep. Fight with Fire even misses this guy, so that's, like, pretty impressive. And, you know, and he can he can turn turn the corner pretty quickly, which is nice. Uh, so, yeah, like, definitely some p- potential for this guy. But, you know, you, you do have to have those incidental creatures lying around, which gives you deck building restrictions... And then, you know, uh, you got to draw him on time. It, there's a lot of things that make this guy a little more difficult than he might seem off the cuff. But Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely not a lock to see play or anything like that. But with cards like Dusk Legion Zealot, Champion of Wits, if there's a deck that like wants to run those cards anyways and get some payoff from having them and also like wants just a huge dumb beater like this guy's a fine huge dumb beater yeah for sure and we kind of already are seeing those decks right the blue black mid-range decks that are floating around in standard they mm-hmm. you know they've run dusk legion zealot in the past they're running champion of wits there there are decks that could potentially you know run enough just like incidental guys um that yeah i could definitely see this guy slotting in at some point not a guarantee for sure no, definitely not a guarantee. But also what's kind of cool is if you reanimate this with like Liliana Death's Majesty, it has no drawback at all. So that's that's a decently powerful interaction. Like if you, for some reason, didn't feel confident casting this, so you discarded it to a Champion of Wits, or it you cast it once and it died to non-exile removal, which there isn't that much that actually kills this, but yeah. it, you know, it, it exists. Um, you know, getting it back with a Liliana or something, or an Eldest Reborn or whatever... You know, this is just a 6-6 six, six flying trample, which is bigger than pretty much anything that's going to be on the battlefield. So, I like it. It's, but, a, it's a big boy, for sure. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess probably speculative at this point, but... Yeah, speculative, um, but I'm I'm excited to try it. Agreed. It's definitely on the, on the testing block. Next up, we've got uh, Graveyard Marshal. So this guy is a... He's, the, he's black black, so two mana, three, two, zombie soldier. Uh, activated ability of pay two and a black and exile a creature card from your graveyard to create a tapped two, two black zombie creature token. Yeah, this guy is pretty pushed. Yeah, so it feels pretty pushed. He's got the right stat line, so he's a two mana, three, two. So that's, you know, where you want to be for standard card, I think. And the a pretty strong late game ability of pay three mana to exile a creature from your graveyard and get value out of that. You get a two two zombie token. So so he's good both late game and just early as a beater, which is really nice. And he's a zombie, which means that he can fits in the the zombie tribal decks. He'll get benefits from the zombie lords that we've got running around. Uh, yeah, a lot of things happening here. Yeah, and I mean like scrappy scrounger. Uh, in a, a lot of matchups is just like a two mana three two and that's what the decks want is they just you know like he's unlikely to come back into play against magma sprays and seal aways and stuff but being able to just hit really hard starting early and then potentially getting value late and i think this fulfills a pretty pretty similar spot in in, in an aggressive black deck yeah absolutely so yeah i mean i think that this is a very easy starting point for any zombies deck is that you're going to want yep. for this guy, for sure. Yep, and and like Diagraph Ghoul, the one drop that we now have in place of Cryptbreaker, like this this creature, 
uh, leans towards a pretty aggressive deck, like certainly more aggressive of a zombie deck than Relentless Dead lean towards. Um, but this does give you some value late. Like if you draw this and you need to cast it on turn five, then this puts five five power worth of zombies into play. And and even more if you, you know, play a, a Liliana's Mastery or something as well. So right. great, great card for a zombie deck for sure. Definitely. So yeah, I, you know, this guy, maybe even a B. Maybe, Probably yeah. a C, just like as a role player, but he seems strong enough to be considered. Right. I mean, probably a C, but like we could just be seeing a lot of this guy. The power is for sure yeah. there. Next up, we've got Infernal Reckoning. So this is the one mana instant for black exile target colorless creature. You gain life equal to its power. Such a strange card <laughs> to see printed in a core set. Right. There's basically no targets in the set for this card. Right. Like, so you, you hit artifact creatures, right? That's kind of mm-hmm. like where we're at on infernal reckoning yeah. uh for standard is that like you know you hit you hit the color like the artifact creatures which is in my opinion probably way too narrow um yeah. like the best target for this guy in standard is scrap deep scrounger which is crazy uh but that's kind of like i mean it, if you hit a you know. if you hit a heart of kieran with it you're pretty happy too oh sure okay yeah so right so but a little too narrow i think for for my definitely tastes. And then similar to the to the white isolate that we talked about, the one man exile target permanent with CMC one. Even when we're translating into eternal formats like like modern and legacy, it still feels a little more narrow that I feel like you would want a card to exist for, right? Like so for modern, what are we talking about? We're talking about affinity. We're talking about Eldrazi. Those are kind of like the only two archetypes that are, you know, you'd want something like this for. And even against Affinity, you know, a lot so a lot of their guys are colored incidentally, right? You've got the Lifelink Flyer is black, so this can't hit him. And then the the Artifact Lord in that deck is blue. So like and those are some cards that I could see you wanting to hit with your, you know, Affinity hate card, right? So it feels like mostly we're looking at hitting Eldrazi, and in modern Eldrazi just doesn't exist enough. And even in the Legacy, Eldrazi's not that popular of a card or, or, or of an archetype for me to want to dedicate like a sideboard slot of destroy target or exile target colorless creature, you know. And the problem against Eldrazi is that in Legacy, Eldrazi is just the four X Chalice on one deck, right? So. If they're right, exactly. if they're already if they're already chousing on one and then you're like all right I'm ready for all your colorless creatures with my one mana spell you know that just feels awkward right it's not exactly a hate card in that situation I mean I yeah if if you need like in a snapcaster deck and you want one more thing that's like okay against Eldrazi decks and okay against Affinity you know maybe but it's pretty narrow I mean it's it's doing. Uh, a specific job and i'm not sure what that job exactly is so i mean at least it it exiles you know you can target any non-embrical eldrazi with it and it'll be gone forever and you know that's a thing it'll see some play to you know for patching up that you know kind of specific situation but yeah it, it just doesn't have too many uses and and like that chalice weakness is a pretty real weakness like, this is not a good card against Legacy Eldrazi, because the first thing they're trying to do every game is put a Chalice into play. 
This is just another one of those cards where I, I really just want to hear the the designer's reason for including this in the set, right? Because <laughs> I'm sure that they have one, right? Yeah. Like if somebody came up to me and was like, we were really worried about this happening to the modern format mm-hmm. and we really wanted an answer for it to exist, I'd be like, okay, sure. But like, I don't know. It just seems so narrow. Right. And it's yep. a rare, which makes, you know... Which is a real detriment to the enjoyment that other players get out of playing the set. You know, this is the rare that you opened in your draft. Oh, well, good. Or, you know, I just like cracking packs for exciting cards because I'm new to Magic and I opened this thing. Well, geez, yeah. that's, you know, this is a core set. So, I do I like know, the art on it. The, the art is very cool, sitting at here least, a little with confused. This, yeah. this big old yeah, demon. Right. The art is cool, for sure. Yeah, holding a, a generic Eldrazi in his hand and, and squeezing it to death. Like, that's cool. But, yeah, exactly. For, like, gameplay purposes, for getting excited opening it in your first pack of magic cards because this is the starter set, yeah, it, this feels like a weird miss to me. Um, yeah. And I, I just don't know that even the thing that it, it's probably targeted for, which is some sort of eternal format hoser, like, I don't know that we even get there on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of stuck being confused about this card. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't understand. Yeah, um, who just knows? Because, you know, when I'm when I when I'm trying to analytically figure out what's going on here, I just keep on drawing some some blanks. So. Well, well, and I mean, and like, not to keep harping on this, because we've probably talked about it enough, but like, think about the Eldrazi that actually happened to you in Modern. If you Infernal Reckoning it, Thought Not Seer still exiled a card from your hand, Reality Smasher still requires you to discard another card, you can't target uh, Emrakul the Eons Torn with it, like, Emrakul the Promised End still... like mind slavers you for a turn like this doesn't do like the reason Eldrazi are good is not because like there are no removal spells that kill them it's because they do really powerful things even if you've managed to find a removal spell for them (laughs) next up we've got this is another card name I'm sure I'm going to butcher Isareth the Awakener so this guy girl is a 3 mana 3-3 death touch Legendary creature, human wizard. Uh, when Isareth the Awakener attacks, you may pay X. When you do, return target creature card with converted mana cost X from your graveyard to the battlefield with a corpse counter on it. If that creature would leave the battlefield, exile it instead of putting it anywhere else. So just like a, a pretty interesting like reanimator creature... Mm-hmm. So when it attacks, you can pay X and then reanimate something if you pay its converted mana cost. Caveat of if that guy dies again, it's just exiled forever. Uh, and, you know, three mana, three, three, death touch is, you know, right. not pretty reasonable not body. Yeah. Uh, the problem is that this feels to me, again, more like a limited bomb than anything else. It's it's definitely going to be very, very powerful, I think, in Limited as, like, you know, a big body on turn three that comes down. It has Death Touch. It's always going to trade. And then, you know, you can pick your spot on when you want to attack in, trade it off for another creature, and get another guy back. In the Limited context, that feels pretty strong. Uh, really strong. But in in Constructed, I you know, it's kind of hard to justify putting this in a Constructed deck for me. Yeah. It's definitely unlikely, you know, your value creatures, you hope that you get value when they come into play, but 
you can kind of balance this out uh, in, a, in, in, in a couple of ways. I, I mean, one of the ways to balance it out is like the rest of your deck is just chock full of value creatures that give you value when they come into play. So, you know, if we're trying to make a deck with like a bunch of guys that you can sacrifice to that demon, and so you're running like Dusk Legion Zealot and stuff, like anytime they do actually let you attack with this thing and you can just pay a couple of mana to get like a, a huge amount of value, whether it's putting a Dusk Legion Zealot into play or putting a Ravenous Chupacabra into play or something like that, you know, this might deserve a spot or two in some decks. It's probably not going to be a four of, although it is, you know, cheap and relatively efficient. But if you've got enough ways to make it pay you back, then it could be good. Another really cute thing is, and probably this isn't good enough for the older formats, but it does say human on its type line. And if you uh, either vile this out at end of turn and then attack with it, and then you can get back any human that you let die. Like that can be a potentially powerful interaction in the humans deck. I know that many people have probably been asking you if this is good enough for humans, so I'm just going to be one more of them. Yeah, I so the the really important thing to know about humans is that the humans are powerful because they do something immediately. Yeah, typically that's like if you take a look at all of the humans, they generally have an immediate impact on what's happening as soon as they come to play. So Reflector sure. Mage, it hits something immediately. Meddling Mage names something immediately. Thalia, disrupt your opponent immediately. So that's like a really important thing. Having to attack with your payoff human that doesn't have haste is generally too much to ask, right? So we've seen some very powerful humans that haven't made the cut for that reason before. Like a common card that people talk to me about is the the two three for three that attacks and you get two one one attacked and attacking humans yeah handware garrison handware garrison yeah so yeah but so it just feels kind of like similar to that where not only is it much harder to cast than handware garrison but you know the effect seems similar as like you just get like free body when you attack with it so i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and say no on powerful enough for modern humans yeah because you you really want your cards to be impactful immediately in that deck yeah, I mean, I, I think you're probably right. Being able to flash it in does make an attack trigger more likely to happen. And this attack trigger is, I think, more powerful in general than like the Handwork Garrison attack trigger. But yeah, it's it's pretty clunky and, and difficult to use except in like perfect situations. But there, there's a lot of power here. If your deck is filled with value creatures, then this is definitely a way to like recycle them. And I would be surprised if this saw, like, no standard play whatsoever. And maybe it only sees standard play because people keep wanting to make mono black work, so they have to reach to, like, kind of medium cards to, to <laughs> have a 60-card main deck. But, sure. uh, you know, at least in that context, I, I think this will see some play, but it, it might not, you know, like, break through or anything. Agreed. So, yeah, next up we've got Plague Mare. So this is one of the mare cycle. It's a three mana, two, two, one black, black for a nightmare horse. Plague mare can't be blocked by white creatures. And when plague mare enters the battlefield, creatures your opponents control get minus one, minus one until end of turn. If we just had this instead of chain whirler, I would be totally fine with it. Like, yeah, absolutely. This, this card is fine. It's it's just completely okay. You can't. There's a real cost. You really can't main deck it unless you really want this effect. And yeah, I, I mean, 
card is probably a decent sideboard card, but while while Chain Whirler is in standard, there aren't going to be any decks that you want to sideboard this effect in against. So this card might just be like totally useless right now. Yeah, that's kind of my thoughts right now. Is that all of the all of Plague Mare's potential targets are already scared away by Goblin Chain Whirler, which is unfortunate for for Plague Mare seeing any play. Like any, any you know any. There aren't any decks where you're going to want, ooh, man, I really wish I had the give all my creatures, opponents to my control, uh, minus one, minus one, just because all of those decks just can't exist right now because of the, the Chain Whirler, which is kind of, like, weird and sad, but at the same time, like, maybe if Chain Whirler gets banned, then this guy might see some cyborg play because those other decks would be able to see more play. But mm-hmm. while we're in the state of Chain Whirlers everywhere, is that Plague Mare just isn't going to be able to really yeah. make it, in, I don't think, in standard. Right. It is great. If, if White Tokens decks become a thing again, then it's definitely great against them. Kill a couple of tokens, and then none of their guys can block this, and it just keeps plunking in for unblockable damage. Like, that's definitely a real thing. It's not the world we're in right now, but I... I mean, I kind of hope that we return to a world where tokens decks are possible at some point, and this is a fine card when that happens. I agree, for sure. Cool. Well, then, after giving that a D, we will move on to red. <laughs> yep. Uh-oh. So we got, a man, a whole bunch of interesting red cards here. So uh, first up, we've got clearly some sort of eternal intended hoser in Alpine Moon. So this is one red for an enchantment. As Alpine Moon enters the battlefield, choose a non-basic land card name, lands your opponent's control with the chosen name, lose all land types and abilities, and they gain tap, add one mana of any color. So this is a very specific hoser that hoses non-basic lands that do weird stuff. So Tron, Valakut, it does also hit like the flip, the enchantment flip lands from Ixalan. So, I mean, lots of places where this could be effective, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it does something similar to Blood Moon in that it, like, you know, stops some busted land strategies from working. But it isn't oppressive like Blood Moon is, right? So it Mm -hmm. almost feels kind of like a fixed Blood Moon in a way where they wanted a card that can answer, like, utility lands... Like, you know, maybe Wasteland is a good name for this card or, you know, potentially like Ghost Quarter or Field of Ruin if that's what you're looking for. Or even like naming the 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 Dark Depths combo piece. That's being stage. Yeah. You know, so just like a lot of, you know, lands out there that do very unique and powerful land-based combo things kind of need some sort of check in place for them, right? And I think that yep. Alpine Moon is a good check in place, whereas Blood Moon is kind of like a An now we're just not making magic fun check, right? Yeah, um, yeah. too many like uh, alternative hits that Blood Moon hits, right? So this is and something that was an idea f- from somebody was that maybe that they're printing this kind of with eyes towards banning Blood Moon in s- particular formats where you still want some sort of like land check card but you don't want blood moon to just kind of like dominate everywhere right right uh i i mean as as i said last time when we talked about this card like my i am reluctant to 
to think that we're gonna see a Blood Moon ban anytime soon. <laughs> but sure, I mean, sure. this the existence of this card certainly opens the door. You know, it costing one mana is really cool. Uh, like it's much easier to fit it into an aggressive curve that is threatening your big mana opponent. One one place that it is way more awkward than Blood Moon. I think it's like very similar to Blood Moon against Mono Green Tron, but against like Green Red Tron, uh, it just allows them to cast their their nature's claims like no matter which lands they drew which is not great and definitely like a huge downgrade from from blood moon in those situations but blood moon was never the greatest hate card against tron anyways all it did was buy you some time before they really started messing you up because they they can always uh just oblivion stone whatever your land hate card is and having one that costs one mana makes that you know gives you more ability to apply pressure than taking a whole turn off to to cast a blood moon so i think this is in a lot of situations a better hate card for you know certain builds of these big mana decks and and certainly like a healthier sort of card to exist than something like blood moon for sure but again definitely geared towards eternal formats and not 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 a standard card from from what I would expect. No, the only place I can see it in standard is the fact that it does shut down your opponent's flip lands, but not yours. So like in mirrors where search for Ascanta is really important, you know, like you can use this to shut down their Ascantas while keeping yours operational. And you could also use it to keep Fields of Ruin from killing your Escantas, but that's a pretty niche use that I don't I don't see happening a lot because also those decks tend not to be red. So yeah, right. I was gonna say that the the color requirements might be uh, a, a little more it, it, not right in the color color combinations for for that to work most of the time. But it, you know, we I could see a, a some point in the future where we still have Search Escanta and the next best. Uh, control deck is like blue red instead you know that that is a possibility you know mm-hmm. so possible but certainly like i think we are going to see a lot of this in the eternal formats i think the the mana cost being so low and it doing like exactly what you want in in, in a lot of situations yeah i think this is a good card and, and we're going to see a lot of it so if that's like a b for modern or something like that i mean just powerful sideboard cards are some of the most important things in modern yeah for sure and yeah, I, I do think it'll be a pretty good option for, for a lot of modern decks. I, so um, mm. definitely a B in modern, I think. So the next, this next one is uh, definitely a weird one. This is Apex of Power. So seven <laughs> red, red, red. So 10 mana for a sorcery. Exile the top seven cards of your library. Until end of turn, you may cast non-land cards exiled this way. If this spell was cast from your hand, add 10 mana of any one color. So when I initially read this card, I assumed, kind of strangely, I guess, that the the exiled cards you could just cast for free. But that's not the case. You still have no. to pay mana for the seven cards that you exile from the top of your library. And if you cast Apex of Power from your hand, you get 10 mana to work with. But generally, 10 mana isn't really enough to cast all seven of your spells on average. I wouldn't guess... Especially if you're trying to do busted stuff, right? The um, thing is, though, that the busted stuff you're probably doing is that you cast a bunch of rituals so that you could cast this Apex of Power. So there's probably going to be a couple of rituals in your top seven to fuel, you know, and then you keep going. I mean, this just yeah, th- right. this I mostly feels like a 
a weird storm card to me. Right, right, right. The the first card that I the first card that I assumed that it would be similar to was what's the the blue cube storm card where you exile tar- cards from the top of your library? He's playing vintage sometimes. Oh, mine's desire. Yeah, mine's desire. Yeah, like I assumed that it might be similar to that in a certain extent, but it, it, it turns out you know you still have to pay for the spells that you're casting. I don't know. It just seems not quite there on doing what I would want it to do. Yeah. I mean, it, it costs so much. I know there is, like, a, a bad mono-red legacy storm deck that runs a bunch of, like, these sorceries that, like, let you cast a couple of cards from the top of your library, and this is, like, the biggest version of those possible. I don't know. Like, there is some potential there, but probably this is just too payoffy, too huge and awkward, and, and just isn't a good card. Yeah, for sure. Um, next up, we've got Goblin Instigator. Much more simple than Apex of Power. This is one and a red for a 1-1 goblin rogue. When it enters the battlefield, create a 1-1 red goblin creature token. So, you know, this is dragon fodder, but it comes on a body rather than a sorcery, which is just better for a lot of reasons, whether it's in, you know, older formats where, like, I mean, like, it costs one less mana when you've got a Warchief. It, you know, can be brought back from the graveyard if that's a thing that you can do. It's not super relevant to standard most of the time, but I don't know. Like, I guess you could bring this back with a Johnny or something. But in general, being a creature is a huge upgrade to being a sorcery. And, you know, Dragon Fodder has seen some play. This goes well with stuff we've got, like Skirk Prospector, uh, Goblin Warchief. If there's a Goblin deck, like, this is going to be in it. Yeah, right. Uh, I think that this is likely targeted towards, you know, potentially in the future we're going to have some sort of goblins deck in standard. Uh, and this is just going to be another role player, I think, in that. Like, you know, Dragon Fodder is very good in the right context. You know, you, you're you definitely going to want to keep an eye on this moving forward uh, if we don't have, you know, the goblin enough goblins quite yet. This is just another another piece of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah. Sadly, it is a goblin that is really, like, making me reluctant to brew up goblin decks, but right, <laughs> one more thing. Yeah. It's, I hate to beat the dead horse, but this card, not very good against Goblin Chain Whirler. No, absolutely not. But yeah, I mean, if there's a goblin deck, this is in it, so that puts it at, I guess, a, a D, but, you know, could easily move up to, like, C territory if we start getting enough goblins that this is something we actively want to be doing. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Next is a, a goblin that goes really well with Goblin Instigator. So this is Dark Dweller Oracle. This is one and a red for a 2-2 Goblin Shaman, and it has an activated ability of one and sacrifice a creature. Exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. So this kind of reminds me a little bit of Evolutionary Leap, which is really good in tokens decks. It doesn't have that uh, ability to just like negate their removal because if you do this on their turn you're not going to be able to cast most of the stuff that you flip up but it you know it comes on a body it converts tokens into cards which is really powerful in you know if your deck starts with like goblin instigator and siege game commander and stuff like this is a way to to turn them into cards and you know maybe this is a way to really go off in like a skirk prospector base deck or maybe you just have a bunch of tokens from other cards and this is this is good there uh but like we rarely get powerful creature sacrifice payoff cards because they can be pretty dangerous and this is definitely 
one of them. Turning tokens into cards is that can be huge. And it's it's really good that it says play and not not cast because you do yeah. get lands off of this, which is something that I think is is an underrated part of that ability most of the time. Where mm-hmm. you know sometimes you really want to make more land drops, and this is a way to potentially do that. Yeah, and I think in a deck that wants this card in it, like you're going to have lots of ways to spend your mana. Um, especially like if you're trying to turn your siege gang commander into a bunch more cards, like you want all the lands you can get. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, um, so yeah, I. So I mean, I, I think this card's going to be good. Like. It provides a body too, so it's not like you're just like investing in it and putting just an enchantment in play. It can at least like you know, worst case ends up chump blocking or something, or is getting buffed by your goblin lords. Like I just, I think this card is is whatever shell it is, uh, it's gonna see some play. If it's like a black red value creature deck or something, I I I don't see us getting through standard without this card doing some pretty interesting, cool stuff. I like this design a lot. Yeah, I mean, definitely has a lot of potential. Um, I think that I'm on more the side of speculative for standard, but kind of high hopes for some sort of Skirt Prospector modern deck, honestly. Ooh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I would love to see somebody brew that up and, uh, and, and give it a spin, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and when we were talking about, like, Goblin's decks in modern, you know, one of the things we said is, like, the fact that we don't have a Goblin Ringleader, like, really hurts those decks. Because yeah, you can, yeah, you know, absolutely. make a bunch of mana and stuff, and, like, you know, we have Warchief, but there's no way to, like, get the cards out of it. And this might fulfill a really similar role to a, a Goblin Ringleader. Convert, you know, resources into more goblins that make more resources. Um, yeah, I, I can see that. Right, right, yeah. It seems like that deck is good at doing the things that you talked about, making a lot of mana, having a lot of creatures. So this is just kind of, like, the obvious piece that fits in to give you the card advantages in addition to that so Mm -hmm. i this one is a tough one to rate though so i'm not really sure what to do with it there um yeah i i don't know i i think that i'd probably say it's more speculative than anything else yeah but i unfortunately but i am excited about it it's like a speculation that i'm excited about yeah (laughs) yeah that's a rating that we can have and I do think it I could be very for. good. So, you know. Right. Right, just a very hopeful speculative grade. But uh, maybe I just want to give this a C, just because I, I really want it to be good. All right, fair enough. I can get behind that. <laughs> uh, next is Demanding Dragon. So this is three red red, so five mana for a 5-5 five, five flying dragon. When Demanding Dragon enters the battlefield, it deals five damage to target opponent unless that player sacrifices a creature. So this is basically a five mana five five haste flyer that they could block on the first turn with like they can chump block with any of their creatures kind of so that's that's kind of how i'm thinking of it yeah yeah i mean it's just kind of like a it's like a big dude yep i suspect that he's getting value in some form when he enters the battlefield either way and you're probably not sad about either one of those things happening right oh my opponent's active creature well that's good or, right. you know, my opponent took five. That's that's good, because I'm playing a 5-5 five, five dragon. That, so yeah. And I mean, this in a on, deck right? with Goblin Chain Whirler, like, tends to leave them without too many, like, super disposable creatures. So that sacrifice is, is okay for you. I mean, this is a Punisher card, but, I, I mean, because you're also just getting a 5-mana five 5-5 five, five flyer in addition to the Punisher ability, like, it still is 
close to playable, at least. Yeah. Yeah, the Punisher ability is just kind of like... It feels almost free, right? Because you, you're getting a 5-mana five 5-5 five, five flyer, which is good. Mm-hmm. Especially in the face of things like Glorybringer and Chandra. It's just a good rate, it feels like, most of the time. Blocks of Phoenix yeah. indefinitely. It's just It feels like it's right. going to be really powerful in the air. It, um, it's sized pretty nicely for, for standard right now. For sure. Yeah. Definitely not very good in the face of Lyra, but outside of that, I think no. that's going to be the, <laughs> the second best thing in the air. Um, and also the type line dragon is kind of relevant because of one of the cards that we'll get to in a little bit. So, you know, this is definitely speculative. It's not like super powerful, but it might be one of those cards that just lines up pretty nicely in standard so that you're you're happy to be playing it. Yeah, agreed. So next is Dismissive Pyromancer. This is one in a red for a 2-2 human wizard, and it's got red tap discard a card to draw a card. So you can pay a red and tap it to rummage. Uh, and then it's got two in a red tap sacrifice dismissive pyromancer. It deals four damage to target creature. A nice little utility guy we got here. I yeah, think. it it is, and it, it definitely feels like you know it's over over rate. You know, like you're you're getting more than you're like than you would normally get for like a two mana red creature. But the mm-hmm. fact that you have to pay mana for both of these abilities makes me not super sure how it fits into a standard deck, I guess. Yeah, to me, this screams limited bomb, mm-hmm. but not really playable and constructed. Like, in limited in a limited context, this guy seems really strong, right? Because I think that uh, uh, rummaging is definitely an underrated ability in limited. I think it's very strong. And something that people typically don't go for, but just like any sort of card filtering is good. So like, you know, you get to the late game and you can discard all of your excess lands for another shot at a good spell, right? And the ability to turn this guy into a removal spell when you need to is also just like an excellent limited ability, right? But when it comes to constructed, you know, we're looking at a two mana two two that you have to put mana into in order to utilize and that's just a pretty big ask, I think, for any constructed format. So I, I would be very surprised to see him see play in constructed, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, you know, like, if this guy's your turn two play and their turn two play is Earthshaker Kenra, like, you're already in trouble. So, but, like, there is a lot of stuff going on here. So, you know, like, you know, this is another guy that's like pretty cool to get back with a Johnny. You know, this is a two mana guy that like does more stuff than a two mana guy would normally do. So uh, it's possible that the C's play at some point, but unlikely, I think, just because if that first ability didn't cost a mana, then I'd be really into it. But the fact that it does makes it pretty awkward to use a lot of the time. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think that this guy was really ever going to be destined for constructed unfortunately yeah, uh, but it is a very I, strong card it feels like in limited so sure um next up we've got goblin trash master just fantastically named card oh <laughs> yeah two and two red for a three three goblin warrior other goblins you control get plus one plus one and sacrifice a goblin destroy target artifact so he's a lord, he's got shatter effects attached, makes artifacts, artifact decks really, really sad to have you play, like, Goblin Instigator against them. Uh, and even when they're not artifact decks, like, it is a lord, and that might be good enough, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
standard goblins, I think, can support a four-mana lord. Like, if that's really what we're looking for, is, like, goblin payoffs, like, this is a fine one. And I honestly, yeah. I think that the destroying artifact text is more incidental than anything else. Right. It's just in some matchups, it's going to be a nightmare for your opponent, and in other matchups, yeah. it means sure. nothing. Right, yeah, exactly. It, like, you know, if your opponent happens to be playing Heart of Kirin or something, then this is going to make their life really difficult, which is nice, right? But, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on that being, you know, an effective line of text most of the time but yeah. you know uh if we're if we're looking for goblins to put in a deck to to you know to make something work then this is this is a playable goblin i think yeah totally you know like a, a d because it does one thing and we really got to hope that the goblins deck is good but the goblins deck if <laughs> it's good is probably going to want a lord in it and yeah between uh wily goblin and you know, which may be a playable card, and Skirk Prospector and stuff. Like, four mana lord seems fine. Not really where you want your lords to be. You want your lords to be, like, no. two or three mana. That's, you know, yeah. that's what makes things really tick. But, yeah. you know, if we're, if we're trying hard enough, I think that we might be able to settle for a for four mana lord. Sure. Next up, we've got Lightning Mare. So this is two red mana for a 3-1 elemental horse. This spell can't be countered. Lightning Mare can't be blocked by blue creatures, and it has one and a red. Lightning Mare gets plus one plus O oh until end of turn. So bad against Goblin Chain Whirler. We'll get that out of the way immediately. But besides that, yeah, right. Aside from the fact that we can't play this card in the standard, it's like a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, uh. Um, yeah. So right in a vacuum, I think this card is powerful. Right, it's a three power two mana creature with fire breathing. In a red deck, that's, like, really what you want. Um, yeah, punishes them for like, leaving up Essence Scatter. Like, that's nice. You know, not huge, but certainly a bonus. Right. It's, you know, it's a tool that you have under your belt against blue decks, for sure. But the fact that it's a 3-1, it's just, yep. you know, we can't play this card. It's, it's sad, but we just can't play this card. Yeah, until you know, red decks become a much smaller share of the metagame because this just gives you no value whatsoever. Even if you get, like, an attack in with it and then it gets chain warlord, like, that's not enough value. Yeah. And Even if you save it for after your opponent has cast their chain whirler, It can't attack if you, there's a chain whirler in play. Yeah, the chain whirler just trumps it in every way. So, yep. yeah, I don't know. That's unfortunate. Yep. But, I mean, there's a lot here like this is a great two drop against blue white control you know they're holding up essence scatter for it they just don't get to use it that turn and then you know they have to like spend their seal away on it uh on a turn where it's not like optimal to cast seal away because it's using up like some but not all of their mana and if they don't have the removal spell like this can threaten a ton of damage but yeah i mean definitely just have to wait until red decks are a smaller share of the format and there aren't as many chain whirlers around agreed next is a sweet one so this is sarkin fireblood he's a sarkin planeswalker one and two red for a three loyalty planeswalker he's got plus one you may discard a card if you do draw a card plus one add two mana in any combination of colors spend this mana only to cast dragon spells and his minus seven is create four five five red dragon creature tokens with flying. So again, this planeswalker like 
wants to be in a pretty specific deck, which is a deck with a bunch of dragons in it. And I am down. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Continuing with the trend of the Planeswalkers in the set are pretty archetypical, where mm -hmm. you really need them to be in their, like, you know, appropriate deck. And for Sarkun, it's just a bunch of dragons, right? Which is cool, you know? We can do that, I think. So he, he might see some play in, like, a dragon's deck if a dragon's deck is viable, um, which I know that we're all hoping is true. You know, I would right, love to play right. dragons, but yeah, and yeah, definitely. It'll be, hard it'll to be tell. interesting to see if it works out though, because it like him being playable, it's not really up to him in in a strange way. Exactly, it's, uh, it's more up to the cards surrounding him, right? Uh, yeah, it's more up to whether or not his deck is good, not whether or not him individually is good, right? And I think, you know, if the deck is good, like, this is a pretty powerful component of it. You know, it can be hard. He doesn't protect himself at all. So you've got to be doing some work to untap with him to get the mana out of him, even in a dragon-heavy deck. Um, but if you do, you know, I mean, like, dragons we've got, you know, like, Glorybringer is one of the best cards in standard. And knocking some mana off of the cost and, you know, being able to double spell really early on with a Glorybringer is very powerful. This guy also, you know, ramps you into Varric's Blade Wing, like makes it very easy to kick Varric's Blade Wing, and that's just a, you know, medium cost dragon that's easy to fit in the deck. It's also mana fixing if you happen to be running like a bunch of multicolored dragons, uh, which there are some of in this set. And so, yeah, like I, I could definitely see it, but right, it, it's got to, we got to have a dragon's deck to make this work. And who knows? Right, yeah. So, solid D, but I would I would like if this is a, a, a decent part of standard. That would be nice. Yeah. Um, Fingers crossed. Um, but right. again, you know, if, if history is any indication, sometimes these uh, archetype decks kind of fall a little short. So. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Next, we've got sort of part of the same deck... Uh, although not guaranteed to be in it, even if it exists. This is Spit Flame. This is two and a red for an instant. It deals four damage to target creature. And whenever a dragon enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay red. If you do, return Spit Flame from your graveyard to your hand. So that's a lot right, of so value if there. So if our deck is full of a bunch of dragons, then yeah. this card seems really powerful, honestly. Yeah, you, you need to both have enough dragons and enough mana to be thrown around to both be playing a three mana removal spell and having the excess red floating around. It is asking yeah. a lot, but it, it, generally I think it's going to be a pretty powerful effect. It is also fantastic with Sarkin because you can discard it to his, his, his rummage ability and then get it back when you cast a dragon with his mana ability because now you have extra mana. And then once you're like making mana, it's it's pretty easy to double spell, like cast a dragon, cast a spit flame, and then so it's you know the play patterns with Sarkin, I think it lets you do some really cool stuff. But you know on its own, three mana to deal four to target creature, you know we want to be in a standard where that actually lines up well against things. So if a lot of people are casting Glory Bringers and a lot of people are casting Steel Leaf Champions, like that could be okay. But if you know, it's lots of two-drop creatures and, like, things that don't die to a four-damage burn spell, then it becomes obviously much, much worse. Yeah, right. Yeah, you definitely want to be playing in a format where dealing four is important, and you couldn't get away with just, like, you know, shocks or lightning strikes. 
Otherwise, I think that you just run those cards because they're going to be more more mana efficient. Right, right. But definitely some potential power here. So I, you know, I would be happy if this were in a, a deck that I wouldn't be ridiculous for playing. So next up, we've got Viashino Pyromancer. So this is one in a red for a 2-1 Viashino Wizard. When it enters the battlefield, it deals two damage to target, player, or planeswalker. So nice little aggressive two drop that sort of like maybe replaces Earthshaker Kenra, is great with a card like Flame of Keld, is bad against Chain Whirler, uh, as is everything, but you know, could definitely fill a spot in an aggressive red deck, especially once we lose a bunch of the the red cards in standard. Yeah, for sure. It's it seems like a pretty powerful card in some archetypes. Might even be like a wizard's tribal card. ETB body of shock you is is pretty decent. Yeah, and and yeah, definitely that's enough wizards. You know, right now between Soulscar Mage and uh, this guy and Gisu Lava Runner, that's a lot of wizards. Like you are very likely to have your wizards lightnings be lightning bolts right now. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. So I, yeah, I think that this guy's like maybe another piece to that archetype working a little better. Because that archetype is definitely trying to beat down and get in damage when it can, right? So the, the two damage is, is kind of what you're looking for even a little bit, which is nice. Mm -hmm. But it is, the body is pretty underwhelming, especially for two mana. So two, one, right? So, you know, the one toughness isn't great to see. Mm -hmm. But, and like yeah. the power isn't even exactly what you're looking for either, so. Right. But I, I definitely see this being a solid card in some of the aggressive decks going forward. Like, I, I would be really surprised if this didn't see quite a bit of play. I could see it, potentially, being like a C. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. So next up, we have Volley Veteran. So this is three and a red for a 4-2 Goblin Warrior. When Volley Veteran enters the battlefield, it deals damage to target creature and opponent controls equal to the number of goblins you control. More so goblin, payoffs. goblin payoff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very reminiscent of Flame Tongue Kavu, which, yeah. you know, was like the defining card of, God, what, like 15-year-old standard at this point. But uh, still potentially powerful enough that you might want a copy or two in your goblins deck. This is definitely going to be one of the, like, high pickups for limited goblins, I'm sure. Sure. Um, and then potentially moving forward, once we get our goblin stack, we we could want to throw enough of these guys in. You know, it's just a it's yeah. just a pretty powerful like it's it's got high power on its own, which is nice. Uh, four mana price tag is a little up there in terms of constructed, but you know if mm -hmm. we're like if we're doming creatures for four or so when it comes into play, then you know now we're talking all yeah. of a sudden, right? It can also be a pretty powerful sideboard card for the creature matchups. Like, it might be difficult for a go-wide Goblins deck to deal with stuff like Lyra Dawnbringer, but this is a, a solid sideboard card because those decks are going to have a hard time actually removing all of your Goblins. And if they play Lyra and then you just play a 4-2 that kills it, then that's a, a fantastic exchange for you and might be, you know, might solve matchups like that. Um, that, that would be tough otherwise. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, so, I mean, another D, because we need a Goblins deck that wants this, but we're, we're starting to piece the tools together. It feels like it, for sure. So that's it for the red cards. We are we are making our way through. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, so onto our last full color. We're on to green. So we get, uh, first up is Dryad Green Seeker is the one that we want to talk about. So this is a two mana, one, three Dryad. It has an activated ability of tap. Look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you can reveal it and put it in your hand. So it's kind of like tap to explore almost. I mean, it doesn't like <laughs> let you scry the non-land cards, but it's kind of similar in that it like, like this is going to give you a few cards over the course of the game. Right. So I do think that the effect is more powerful than people might think at first glance. You know, I think that this is going to be a very strong limited card. Um, definitely like higher pick than people initially are going to put it at. Yeah. Um, just it, the fact that, you know, on turn two, you play a one, three, right? So ideally you're, you know, you've got a blocker for a couple turns. You can block their bear for a couple turns and save some life there. And then he'll just kind of be sitting into play as like a small body. But every turn, if you're activating this ability, yeah, it, like over the course of its, you know, uh, time on the battlefield, it's going to draw you maybe two or three cards, right? And that's mm -hmm. really powerful. Just kind of like for free as like, all right, you're in step. I'm going to activate this. So it's a land, right? So that's pretty good. So I definitely think it's going to be like very good limited card for sure. Um, but when we're translating to constructed, I'm not sure how much we're going to want this particular effect. Yeah. we it, it would have to be in a deck that's really going for the late game, wants to make a lot of land drops, doesn't mind just like having a 1-3 sit out there and just be a 1-3 for a little bit. So, and while that's not impossible that a constructed deck is going to want that effect, I, I think it's not terribly likely. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the place I see it would be in, like, the decks that have been running Merfolk Branchwalker, but, like, are not Winding Constrictor decks, so they don't really have synergy with the plus one, plus one counter and stuff. Like, decks like Red Green Monsters, when they were running, if they're running Branchwalkers in place of, like, Kenra's and stuff, more to like smooth their draws like this might perform a really similar job because those cards usually didn't provide very much pressure um and not that i'm a fan of like red green monsters style decks but you know if you're a, a sort of mid-range deck that's fine with going long and and is going to use its lands um especially if there is you know, the iterations of the red aggro decks at some time, like, have a bunch of Gitu Lava Runners and 2-1s and stuff in them, so the body actually matters in some matchup. Like, this could be a fine card if that's how the meta shapes up. But I, yeah. I definitely don't think that's a guarantee. But, but I can see a meta where, like, playing this on turn 2 is, like, really annoying for the control decks because you're kind of never gonna have to... Like, all your draw steps get you spells... And uh, playing this on turn two against the aggro decks, like if th they're constructed in a way that like a one three is decent against them, is also annoying for them. But but yeah, that, that's certainly not guaranteed. Yeah, for sure. And it you know it is important to note that this is drawing you cards, right? This means that your draw steps are finding you more spells than you know normal, right? So that's yep. that's gonna be a, a good utility there for sure. Right. And then especially if you have places to dump your mana, like eternalize abilities or whatever, then, you know, turning extra lands into really good draws, like, but, but I mean, all that said and done, like this is a two mana one three with like a, a kind of weird, slow activated ability. So it's certainly not like a powerhouse of standard, but I, I see it as a, a, a fun, like cool role player that I'm, I'm excited to try to fit into some decks as a nice, like way to, 
you know, smooth out your draws and stuff. Because smoothing out draws is, I, I think, one of the places where you get more percentage points than people think you do. Yeah, absolutely. Probably more powerful than people are going to initially view it as, but we'll see if it's powerful enough to make standard play. Yeah. To see yeah. standard play. So, I mean, definitely speculative, but yeah. potential potential okay. is there. Um, all right, so next up we've got Elvish Clan Caller. So this is a uh, elf lord, essentially. It's green-green for a 1-1 elf druid. Uh, it says other elves you control get plus one, plus one. And it has a six mana and tap activated ability. It says search your library for a card named Elvish Clan Caller. Put it into the battlefield and shuffle your library. So this is interesting in that it's a, it's a two mana elf lord, which is nice. And then once you get up to a lot of mana, which elves are pretty good at doing, you can uh, pay six mana and tap this one for another elf lord. You know, if you have a bunch of elves out, every elf lord that you get is just more and more power. Getting an extra lord out of your deck is a solid payoff for like hitting that mana with your elves. So, so definitely can be pretty powerful. I mean, we don't have many elves in standard right now besides actual Llanowar elves. And also, this card is terrible against Goblin Chain Whirler. Uh, but, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. you, know, uh, you know, like modern elves, potentially, like this is a, a, a lord that is a sink for all of the mana that you create. You know, that deck list is really tight right now, and fitting cards like this into it is is, is pretty hard. But yeah. there is potential here. Um, there would be a lot more potential if you didn't have to tap for this ability. But, you know, that would probably be a little too powerful. But, you know, there's some some potential here. And if we get a bunch of elves in standard, then this is obviously a great lord as long as you can solve the Chain Whirler problem. Right, right. Yeah, if it was just a 1-2, it would be infinitely <laughs> better, right? Because then all of a sudden it doesn't die to a Goblin Chain Whirler, and then it prevents all of your other dudes from dying to a Goblin Chain Whirler. Right. But as it right. stands right now, you have to have two of these guys out to prevent anything from happening from Goblin Chain Whirler. It's close. It's close. close. And I definitely see, it, it will see play if there is an elf deck running around, right? Right. But... Uh, yeah, right now that, that doesn't seem super likely to happen. Right, exactly, exactly. So yeah, so so there's that guy, and then uh, so what would we give him this guy? Maybe a C, probably more like a D, just because of yeah, the it's context. Pretty speculative, and I've I've played a little bit of Modern Elves. Like I have one built on the shelf behind me, but I I don't play it very often. So I'm I'm not an expert on like how this could fit into a modern elves deck. Um, this isn't really a card that you can fit in as like I want a fifth lord and this one's nice because it costs two mana because like the payoff for this one is for having more of them in your deck, and, and you know like like the power of elves is that like yes it can beat down but it's also got like a big old combo finish with a zuri, um, yeah. And I don't know that this quite fits into that it's philosophy. To me, feels a little underwhelming for modern. Yeah, just yeah. quite. It's like it's more of like a beatdown lord style than anything else, right? Because the main reason that you play Elvish Archdruid is for the mana in modern yeah. elves, right? Yeah. It's like the the uh, being an elf lord is kind of incidental, right? Right, which so, does lead to a fair number of just like attack you with all my guys wins. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But 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 yeah. But right, it's got that. It, it plays that dual role. And I've, I've definitely seen lists that run like an Elvish champion or two. 
And unless that, that forest walk is super important, then this is probably an upgrade over that, you know, especially if you're running two so that, you know, this one can fetch out the other one when you're kind of stalled out a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's hard to see it fitting. Those lists are really, really tight. And like the cards, the package that you need to make like the heritage druid stuff work. And you obviously want your collected companies and your cords and your Azuris. And then it's just like, where does this fit into that puzzle? So um, kind of kind of speculative, which is weird for an elf lord that costs two mana. You'd think that's just <laughs> automatically great, but right. it's hard to see where that's going to fit in any format right now. Yeah, so I guess I, we're sticking with with D then. I guess so. That seems weird. That seems weird. If we yeah. get a bunch of elves in standard, this is obviously great. But yeah, yeah. for sure. All right. So next up, we've got another elf. Uh, this one is uh, Elvish Rejuvenator. So it's a three mana one one two and a green. And it says, when Elvis Rejuvenator enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You may put a land card from among them onto the battlefield tapped. Put the rest of the bottom of your library in the random order. So kind of like a weird yeah, you know, wood elves ramp kind of thing. spell. Yeah, weird wood elves kind of deal where it does put the land out onto the battlefield immediately tapped. But you have to hit a land, which is pretty likely. But you do run the risk of bricking every once in a while. Um, yeah, and I think you brick around 10% of the time, which is, yeah. it's it's real. Like, that's that's a drawback. I mean, when you miss, it's this card is really, really, really bad. Yeah, like 3 mana 1-1 one, one is just like, oof, you definitely don't want yeah. to be casting that. But, you know, since it ramps, it's fine. If, I think that there are, it, it could be a role player in particular archetypes that are looking just for, like, a body that ramps them a little bit. Like maybe some hour promise deck wants to to run these because they are both gonna have a higher land count, and you know are trying to get to five mana and stuff like that. So you know I could I could see this mm-hmm. being being played as as a piece of a deck, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, definitely possible. I I do think that most of the time. You know, the value you're getting out of the 1-1 one, one body is usually going to be a chump block. And so a lot of the time, Gift of Paradise gaining you 3 life and being guaranteed to ramp you is just going to be more Better. consistent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And obviously sure. in, in older formats, like I'm not playing this over Wood Elves or, you know, Farhaven Elves or whatever, the one that gets you any basic land. Because like being able to get a non-basic is not a big enough of an upgrade to to keep you from you know, to, to balance out the fact that it doesn't tutor yeah for sure yeah the, the fact that it doesn't tutor is definitely something to to, to keep an eye on right yeah um, I, i'd like it as a design choice but it but but missing with this card is just so brutal that it, it's it scares me off from it quite a bit so maybe you know it's definitely speculative like i could see it being a role player but other than that i'm not excited yeah. about it for any eternal reasons I mean, honestly, like, my ramp brews are not going to start with this card, is, is where yeah. I'm at on it, so. But, anyways, next up we've got Hungering Hydra. So this is a this is a Hydra, which means it's got X in its mana cost, so it's X green <laughs> for a 0-0. Zero, zero. Uh, Hungering Hydra enters the battlefield with X plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. Hungering Hydra can't be blocked by more than one creature, and... Finally, whenever Hungering Hydra is dealt damage, put that many plus one plus one counters on it. So this is an interesting little guy, and I think that once again, this is going to be more of a limited bomb than a constructed playable. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because you know in a limited context this guy seems really powerful right you can you can dump like five five four mana into him right so he's your five drop and he's a four four and generally things aren't going to be that much bigger than a four four so you can attack in he can't be blocked by more than one creature so you can't like block him with a bunch of dudes and then every time you do end up blocking him he's going to get a little bigger so he's gonna eventually ideally turn into the abyss right that's yeah. like the idea of this card is that he slowly gets bigger and bigger after getting chump blocked enough times to where he's just the abyss and your opponent has to find your removal spell or eventually die to it um right. but in standard you're gonna have to do a lot more to in get standard it's gonna be much for it to be much worth it. more difficult to get that going right because at the mana cost where we're really like okay now we have a body that battles then it's a little priced out of being a standard playable card, right? We're talking mm-hmm. like, okay, now it's six mana. Now we're talking, we got five, five. But that's, you know, that's six mana, right? Right. Yeah, I, I think that he's going to be a little too yeah, pricey I, for And definitely, like, face value, I don't think it's good enough. Um, the Like, the reason that I've got him on here is because uh, Jadine Klumperens, in her last article on Snake... Uh, and Star City was talking about how this could be a role player potentially in Snake builds. You know, having Snake out makes it like a reasonable cost to body ratio. Still not good. I mean, it turns it into endless one basically. But also, like, if you've got this and a Snake out, they can't really chain whirler you because it just starts making this thing enormous. And that may be, you know, that could be an interaction that is is decent. Also, what's kind of cute is, like, if you have a walking ballista out, and, uh, a, like, if you have a walking ballista out, then you can transfer plus one, plus one counters to this. That's not great unless they, like, pointed a removal spell at your ballista, but it's a thing. But if you have, like, a walking ballista and a snake out, then you can, you know, any counters you put onto your walking ballista are doubled by the snake, and then they're du- doubled again when you, like, pass them to the hydra. So... I mean, all in all, like, in standard, these synergy things can be very difficult to pull off. But, you know, there's some play to this card. It has some, like, nimbleness to it that's kind of interesting in in certain situations. Right. Like, yeah, for sure. There's potential for some sort of snake synergies in standard. Mm -hmm. I could see that happening. Um, But, yeah, in in more of a vacuum. Pretty specific and and speculative. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Um, Next guy's a little cooler, though. Yeah, so next up we've got uh, something I am more excited for. This is uh, Runic uh, Armasaur. So it's a 3-mana 2-5, so that's a pretty big body. It's a dinosaur, 1 green green. Uh, Whenever an opponent activates an ability of a creature or land that isn't a mana ability, you may draw a card. So that's some interesting utility. Yeah, I don't Um, see this doing a ton in standard, because there aren't that many, like... Especially without, like, Bristling Hydra and stuff. There aren't that many, like, creature or land non-mana activated abilities that are seeing a ton of play. You know, a lot of the ones that are seeing play are things that are, like, ending the game. Like, things like Hazaret's activated ability or or Azkanta or something like that. And this isn't really going to keep up once those things are happening. But I see this uh, definitely being closer in in modern yeah right there's definitely some utility in more eternal formats where people are activating a lot of abilities and that could be this could be like a good sideboard card maybe i mean it's a it's a collected company hit too and it's a two five which is just a huge body for yeah two five is is definitely a very very big 
it's got a big butt for sure. Yeah. So that's good. But yeah, the um, the payoff is is interesting one though because generally when you want to be when you're trying to punish your opponent for you know activating abilities or something along that line, you want it to be kind of like, all right, I can't do this a lot because I can't afford to, right? So something mm-hmm. like that would be a like a harsh mentor effect, right? Where they right. only have so much life, so they can only activate so many abilities, right? But if my opponent's like combo killing me with Devoted Druid and I'm tapped out, it doesn't matter how many cards I'm drawing off sure. of his Devoted Druid activated abilities. He's just going to kill me anyways, right? Right. So it's kind of like this weird where the, the, the punishment for your opponent is that I get to draw a card, but sometimes that just doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't care yeah. about that, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, so that's like a weird balance that we're drawing with this card. Um, but it's, you know, I think this is the first time that we've seen this kind of design space recently, right? So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, and I mean, like, there may be some overlap where, like, some matchups you want a 2-5 because that's just so good of a blocker and it blocks, like, lots of their stuff. And then some matchups, you this ability is very good, and then that becomes enough that this card is good enough to just put in your deck. You know, there's there's definitely some potential here. But I'm not, I don't see exactly, like, you know, what decks I'm thinking of that are like, all right, Runic Armasaur, here we go. Uh, it's not yeah, that kind of yeah. card. Right, right, right. But it is it is interesting and unique, and uh, definitely, I think there could be spots where it is powerful, so. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely good against Walking Ballista. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, next up, we've got a another interesting card. Uh, this guy is Thorn Lieutenant. So it's a two-mana, two-three elf warrior uh when thorn lieutenant becomes the target of a spell or ability and opponent controls create a one one green elf warrior creature token uh also it has an activated ability of six mana thorn lieutenant gets plus four plus floor until end of turn this looks to me just like a really good rate card for green um, it's a two mana, two, three, which is, you know, above rate, which is good. And like, so it'll probably see some sort of constructive play for that alone. And, you know, if your opponent's trying to remove it, you get some sort of value based on that if they're trying to use some removal spell on it. So it seems like it's probably going to be pretty good against both like, um, beat down decks that are, you know, trying to break through and attack you and stuff. You could like play this two, three that... If they want to strike it or something, then you, you get a 1-1 one, one to mess with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like, you know, against control, it's going to be good um, because, you know, they're going to need to remove it at some point and you'll get value from it. And then also you're threatening to, you know, have it attack for 6, which is nice. Yeah, I think all that so, sort of adds up here, um, especially it, you know, especially if the type line ends up mattering. You know, like, this is obviously great if, if you specifically want elves. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, even yeah. without that, like it, it could certainly line up so that like it's gonna give you some value in most matchups and is just good enough. You know, it's hard to find twos sometimes, and this could just be the one you want. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So yeah, I mean, I honestly, I'd be surprised if this guy doesn't see any play in standard. I think it's gonna be maybe even a. I might even give it a B, honestly. I think that, wow. you know, if there are green decks that are in for a two-drop creature, then this is one of the places that you're going to want to start. Right, this might just be your default. Like, it might just be a better choice than yeah. uh, the green Kenra or something like that. It yeah, just, for sure. just is a more serious body, I guess. Because remember Sylvan Advocate? 
This card reminds me a lot of Sylvan Advocate, where it's just like a 2-3 for 2, and that's just the size that you want, and it just fits really well on, you know, what you're trying to do. I mean, I think this is definitely worse than Sylvan Advocate, but there's a lot of room. So Sylvan Advocate was was too good, I think. So I'm I'm kind of happy that you know this requires you to do stuff. This doesn't just become a huge creature. Like you have to pay some mana. Yeah, so. right, right. Yeah, this isn't just gonna be a, a four or five late in the game. It's you gotta you gotta work for that. But yeah. Um. But just in general, as being like a good on rate card, I I like it a lot. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I I would probably give it a C, but like, yeah, there it might just be like our green decks start with this because it's the best two drop available. That's that's not an impossible future. Yeah. Next up, we've got Vine Mare. So this is the green horse. Uh, so it's four mana for a five three elemental horse. It has hexproof and it can't be blocked by black creatures. So. So this mare, it's not the most flashy or exciting ability that it's got, but it's just a 5-3 hexproof, right? And uh, I think that this has interesting like sideboard utility for green decks that are trying to play against some sort of spot removal or removal deck. Yep. Or control deck. Like, we all remember how backbreaking Bristling Hydra is for a control deck to deal with, right? Because it, right. you can always threaten having hexproof. What if we just like have a five power four mana creature that has hexproof all the time? Right. Seems like and a and bristling hydra is good... like pretty difficult to use these days because it's really hard to have the three energy in the bank when you cast yeah. it. So you, yeah, you yeah. like have an opening for them to remove it, and this certainly doesn't have that problem. Yeah, I agree. Um, also, if your opponent is really heavy black, like this basically just has. I mean, this basically has protection from black. So if you're playing against a heavy black deck, like this is. You know, Bristling Hydra could never attack through Gonti or Gifted Etherborn, and this one happily attacks through both of those. That's that's true. That's a good point, for sure. Definitely not something to overlook. So yeah, I mean, I think that this card, while unassuming at first, is probably has a lot of utility and might even be just an excellent sideboard card moving forward yeah. for any green deck. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the you know, if, if the control decks stay, you know, heavily leaning towards blue-white then, you know, just a, a donkey hexproof guy is not necessarily <laughs> the, the the sideboard card you want against them because your green deck, like, they're going to keep in their fumigates anyways. They're obviously going to yeah, have their yeah. settles. But, you know, there's definitely times when, like, people are running blue-black way more than, than blue-white is happening. Like, right now, people have moved a lot towards Frasca's Contempt decks, and this card is great against Frasca's Contempt sort of decks. So, yeah, yeah, good card. And it is, it is worth noting that even against the fumigate settle decks having an hexproof threat is very good against them because it forces them to use right. their sweeper on just this guy, right? You can play him, and if he resolves, then you can sit back on the rest of your creatures in your hand, and eventually they're going to have to use the sweeper to get this guy off the board. You know, five right. power every turn. It hits really hard. Yeah, that's a lot. So so definitely gives yep. you a lot of play against the Fumigate Settle decks because either they have the Fumigate and Settle and they have to use it, right? Or they are just going to die to your 5-3, right? right? So I, I still like it against those decks as a, as a pretty good option if, yeah. you can, yeah. if you can play it right and don't don't overextend with it, right? Yep, definitely. I agree. I mean, I, I think this is honestly probably a C. I think we're going to see a lot of this card. Yeah, I, I, I can see it. Next up, we have the Green Planeswalker from the set. It's uh, Vivian Reed. So it's a five mana, five loyalty Green Planeswalker. So three green green. 
It has a plus one of look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal a creature or a land card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Minus three, destroy target artifact, enchantment, or creature with flying. And the ultimate is minus eight. Get an emblem with creatures you control, get plus two, plus two, have vigilance, trample, and indestructible. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> honestly, it feels like pretty <laughs> generic five mana green planeswalker. <laughs> yeah, it's got a, does. Yeah, it's got a value plus of, you know, you're digging your library for some lands or your creatures. It's got a minus three that kills something oddly specific. Uh, <laughs> it's like artifact... Uh, enchantment or creature with flying makes sense for a green card and then minus eight of if you have creatures you'd probably win the game uh yeah yeah, pretty pretty generic feels like but also you know not not powerful yeah i mean you know we we talked about this before and i think we kind of came to like this seems like mostly one of those green planeswalkers that you sideboard in when you want a value engine in a matchup um, and specifically, it does seem pretty good against blue-white control, you know, because it's either drawing you cards, which, you know, is going to match up really well against their trying to remove and counter everything you play, um, or it's got a really decent utility minus three, which might free a creature that's under uh, an enchantment-based removal spell, or it might kill the Lyra that would otherwise beat your green deck. So I think this is, at, at minimum, a pretty useful sideboard card. Yeah, right. I agree. I I think that it it probably is going to be in more sideboards than main decks, but it definitely could be a powerful option for sure. Yeah, I I think we're a little used to having like like some of the Nissas like actually like this doesn't put any power on the board to to attack your opponent with. It's just very card advantagey and grindy, and so not having that ability to just like start making threats with it. You know, like Nissa five mana Nissa right now, you can just start hitting them with a five five if that's what you want to do. Yeah, um, yeah. And and this doesn't give you that option, but as long as you know you're in for a value engine, like this does that. Yeah, right for sure. And it yeah, it is a little sad that it doesn't. You know, its value isn't coming in the form of just like things on the battlefield, unfortunately. But we can't all be Garrick relentless. No, we cannot all be Garrick relentless. <laughs> so. But, I mean, it'll see plenty of sideboard play and, and plenty of, you know, rock deck sort of play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. But, yeah, I think that does it for our green cards. So, yep. next up, we've got some some exciting ones, I think. Yeah, so we've got multicolored cards. And we really just have listed out all of the Elder Dragons here. Elder um, Dragons. Yeah. And not all of these are actually playable, but I figured we'd, we'd take a, a quick look at each of them. Yeah. So... The first one is Arcades the Strategist, and he costs, he's the Bant one, so he costs one, a green, a white, and a blue for a 3-5 Flying Vigilance. Whenever a creature with Defender enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. Each creature you control with Defender assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power and can attack as though it didn't have Defender. It's Doran, but he's changed color schemes. Yeah, it's what Doran. Happened? He only applies but to better, your creatures. But better, first of all. Yeah, yeah he, he lets your walls attack. He's got attack. flying vigilance. Yeah. Flying vigilance. It's, I mean, you look through the cards with Defender that we have in standard right now, and there's clearly no Defender theme deck that you can build with this guy. And I don't think oh. that would even be good because it would be a deck that just doesn't work if you can't keep this, this four mana creature in play. Um, I think that this guy's 
definitely printed with Isaac Commander. Yes. Not really anything else. Absolutely a Commander card. I can see some world where a 4-mana 3-5 Flying Vigilance, like, matches up nicely against stuff. But you'd have to be Bant to take advantage of that, and that seems not likely to happen. You know, like, we're in a spot right now where, like, uh, Aether Sphere Harvester is really, really good because that 3-5 Flying Body is fantastic. Um, yeah. You know, we could be in a similar spot where, like, we want a card like this, but the mana cost is pretty restrictive, so... Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, this card's cool, but it's going to be for Commander. I think that yeah. some people are pretty excited to play it in Commander, so that's good. And I think a lot of these Elder Dragons were made with that in mind. Uh, and Commander, as in, you know, it, that includes Brawl, I guess. So Yeah, although the the Defender creatures we have in Standard right now are pretty, uh, pretty slim Not, pickings. Slim pickings, yeah, that, that's yeah. fair. This next one is a lot more exciting for Standard. This is mm-hmm. Chromium the Mutable. This is the Esper one. So it's four, a white, a blue, and a black for a 7-7 seven, seven flash flying. This spell can't be countered, and it's got an activated ability of discard a card. Until end of turn, Chromium the Mutable becomes a human with base power and toughness 1-1, one, one, loses all abilities, and gains hexproof. It can't be blocked this turn. Yeah, so... Uh, this is the card that I alluded to earlier when we're talking about just like control bomb finishers. This yeah. card has everything that you want. It's got flash, so you can hold up counter spells and act in your opponent's end step. It mm-hmm. can't be countered, so screw your counter spells. Um, <laughs> and it has effective uh, hexproof in the context of if your opponent points the removal spell at it, then you all you need to do is discard a card to prevent that from happening. Right. Yep. So the only ways that you're going to get rid of this guy are... There are ways to get rid of this guy in the control mirror, which are important. And those are, you know, Fumigate kills him. Settle the Wreckage is still going to get him. If you can block him and then point a removal spell, then that works. But he does have flying, so that is kind of tough. So yeah, but generally just like difficult to deal with and... You know the the card that you kind of want is your control finisher, right? Because then all you need to fight out, fight over after you've resolved them is your opponent's uh, sweeper effects, and that's you know either they're not in the deck anymore because this is post board in a control mirror, or you know whatever. Yeah. So yeah. right. So so definitely a lot of utility in standard. I think that he'll see play if there are good Esper control decks and they want to have a a trump in the mirror mm-hmm. i don't really see you wanting this in most other places unless you're trying to go over the top in a weird way of i mean it could be a, a good way to make sure that you can take care of planeswalkers out of mid-range decks when the game is going long or something like that but mostly yeah it's to beat that that control mirror and i think yeah. this is this is way better than a card like nezahal because it does have flash which is huge and Nezahal also had that super weird interaction where, like, you cast a removal spell on it, you discard three cards to exile it, and then they could disallow the delayed triggered ability that would bring it back, and then it would just be exiled forever. And this does not Hilarious. have that ability. Yeah. So it doesn't have that yeah. huge weakness um, and is, I think, a significantly better card for that purpose. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, I was talking to a lot of people, because people did play that guy in control decks as, like, their control finisher. It was and awful. 
It just um, never works. I was talking to some other some other control players who were like, yeah, that card always just gets disallowed and exiled forever. And then your yes. opponent's discarded three cards, so they just lose. You know? <laughs> so um Yeah. Yeah. But this guy seems much more much better in that context. So it's good. Yep. Um Yep. So like a yeah. I don't know what I mean, I guess it's like a C or a D. You know, it might just be a one of in like most of the control decks going forward. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that that's an accurate assessment. This next one. Oh boy. Nicole Bolas the Ravager. We got so another slimmed, Bolas, boys. Slimmed down four mana Nicole Bolas. Uh, one blue, black, red for a 4 4 legendary creature, Elder Dragon. Flying. When it enters the battlefield, each opponent discards a card. And then it's got an activated ability four, a blue, a black, and a red. Exile Nicole Bolas the Ravager, then return him to the battlefield, transformed under his owner's control. Activate this ability only any time you could cast a sorcery. And then he turns into just the most gigantic planeswalker ever, Nicole Bolas the Arisen. He starts with 7 loyalty. He's got a plus 2 of draw 2 cards. Minus 3 to deal 10 damage to target creature or planeswalker. Minus 4, put target creature or planeswalker from your graveyard from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control, and minus 12, exile all but the bottom card of target player's library. <laughs> I mean, so you, so you win if you yeah. flip this. That, like, that's just yeah, that you, should, you should win if you flip this. That's, that's pretty, pretty much where we're at, I think. Additionally, the front side of this isn't bad. You get a 4-mana no. four, 4-4 four flyer that makes your opponent discard a card. That's, that's right. just value. That's really that strong, is. I think. And uh, don't be fooled by the four toughness. This does die to Chandra, but it does not die to Glorybringer. So that's important. It's a dragon. Yeah. It's a dragon. I I really love this value comes into playability. It makes it so good with cards like Liliana or the Eldest Reborn. You know, like, they deal with it once, but that second time, like, they can only, like, two, get two for one so many times before they start really running out of resources. Yeah, just kind of having the built-in two for one is definitely relevant here. So I, I do think this card's strong, but again, the color requirements are very specific. So in terms of it seeing play in standard, I think that if there is a already good Grixis deck that's in for just like more value stuff, then mm -hmm. this guy's an easy slot in. But aside from that scenario happening, I, I don't know if this guy is like a reason to try to play Grixis. Um, See, I, sense. I think it actually might be. Um, and I, I think rather than just being like, hey, I want to play these colors already, and now, hey, like I, I guess I can fit this guy in, so that's nice. I think it's more along the lines of like, hey, I want to play this particular sort of mid-rangey strategy already. Ooh, and this guy is going to fit into it really nicely. And and to me, that's a mid-rangey strategy that's using cards like liliana death's majesty or the eldest reborn or something like that this is just like a really big payoff for doing these sorts of shenanigans with um and i mean grixis is good colors for that and i i, I mean i don't know like you know could also cast this guy off of uh three mana sarkin vol uh, I don't, I don't know how likely that is to be a deck, but I guess it's possible. I think most likely it's some sort of mid-rangey Grixis deck, and I, I honestly, I think this card is really, really powerful and like a reason to be doing something like that. Uh, just that that comes into play two for one ability. If your deck is constructed to abuse that somehow, is I, I think 
can be extremely powerful. And then this this card also just has seven mana win the game if your opponent doesn't have a removal spell up right now. And that's right. You know, right. you can't overlook that. Um, true. Yeah. But it you bring up a good point as well, whereas that you really can't afford to activate this guy in the face of a removal spell. Because that's just no. you know, huge tempo swing in your opponent's favor. Yeah. Right. If if they have Vraska's Contempt up and you do this and you have spent eleven mana and traded that for a Vraska's Contempt, that's that's not good. But yeah, I mean, you know, if you ever do get to flip this guy, then you know, now we're talking. Yeah. I I foresee this card getting a lot of play. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm glad that it's three colors basically because I I'm glad that this is restricted in the types of decks that can run it because I think it's very very powerful. Okay, so you, you, your analysis is that it is powerful enough to to want to build around and be these colors. Yeah, I, I want to build around this card. Like, I personally want to do that because the play patterns that I foresee with it, those, like, cast it on four, like, try to trade it off, get it back with a Liliana, like, that's really, that feels, like, powerful enough to to want to to put that deck together. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that for sure. But the mana cost could get in the way. Um, but, like, I would be happy giving this a C. I think it's going to matter a lot. Um, yeah, I'm in for that. Next, we've got Palladia Moors, the Ruiner. This is the Naya one. So three, a red, a green, and a white for a 6-6. Six, six. Flying, Vigilance, Trample. And it has Hexproof if it hasn't dealt damage yet. <laughs> what a weird card. Um, definitely an interesting, an interesting line of text there on this guy. Hexproof if it hasn't dealt damage yet. Uh, so you're pretty much guaranteed to get, uh, well not guaranteed because of sweepers, but you're you're very likely to be able to connect at least once with this guy, which is good. Um, yeah. Other than that, he's just a big old flying vigilance just a big old dude, dino or dragon, dragon. Yep, dinosaur. Listen to me. Um, <laughs> uh, that's two sets ago. We gotta. Yeah, gotta geez. get with the times. Get with the get with the program. I'm here looking at all these thrashing bronodons just on my desk and stuff. So. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, just a big old dude, and yeah, definitely interesting text. It'll be interesting to see how often that second part's relevant, but I'm sure that it can make things awkward for your for your opponents at times. So that's good. Yeah, I mean, I if this guy cost. Like, this is one that, like, ha- being three different colors is really going to hurt, I think. Just, like, how many Naya decks? I-, I guess I just don't really see it. If this guy was, like, green-white or green-red or something like that, you know, there might be a deck that is into this just, like, big, dumb monster that's hard to remove until it's done some damage. But finding a Naya deck to put this big, dumb monster into, it just doesn't seem super likely to happen, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. I, um, this guy m- might be a candidate for, like, a brawl. Sure. Uh, commander, maybe. Yeah. If you're interested in those colors in particular, then this is, like, the biggest, baddest dude or whatever. Aside from that, um... Yeah. Yeah. Not excited. Not excited at whatever. all. Um, right. So, I mean, probably just an F, but I put all these, these dragons in here, because... Sure. You know. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, they're the Elder next- Dragons. The Elder Dragons, yeah. So this one, Easy. this last one is uh, Vivictus Asmadi the Dire. This is the Jund one. So three black, red, green for a 6-6 six, six flying. Whenever it attacks, for each player, choose target permanent that player controls. 
Those players sacrifice those permanents. Each player who sacrificed a permanent this way reveals the top card of their library, then puts it onto the battlefield if it's a permanent card. So it, it chaos warps each player, basically. Right. So in theory, you get to target your opponent's big, bad, scary duder, and then you target your, like, forest or something. And then yep. that should be net positive for you. Um, but in practice, um, your opponent only has lands in play, and you target each of your lands, and then you put their torrential gear hulk into play. So, oh uh, yeah, that's it's not a may ability. You got to do it, and it could it, it's probably going to be a disaster enough of the time that it's <laughs> terrifying. Yeah, right. So again, this probably doesn't see any play in constructed outside of like you know maybe you put it in your dragon commander deck. Yeah. Or something. Uh, that's that's my feeling on it too. The ability is really cool. It's nice and totally chaotic, but it's it's not something that I'm trying to do in in standard. Agreed. Uh, that's gonna wrap it up for the Elder Dragons for us. Um, yep. So we're on to our last little segment. The and we are almost done. For anybody getting really tired of our voices, <laughs> we just got some colorless cards left. Some colorless cards. Yeah. So first up, we've got another controversial card, I guess. Amulet of Safekeeping. It's the two mana artifact. Uh, that says, whenever you become the target of a spell or ability, an opponent controls, counter that spell or ability unless its controller pays one. And the second line of text is, creature tokens get minus one, minus zero. So this is like the, the, the random hate artifact that feels like it's specifically targeted towards modern storm. Right. But it doesn't stop them from storming off. It just attacks their win conditions. But if they've stormed off, they're almost guaranteed. I mean, it, it makes Gifts on Giving cost one more because it, it targets you. And you might be able to get somebody with that because it's a triggered ability. So if they don't have the mana and they're just like doing a value Gifts at end of turn or something, this does counter you're that. It's like, yeah, trigger, pay one more. Uh, but, <laughs> but you're not yeah. you're not going to get Caleb Shear or Paul Muller with that. And uh, I feel like if you're running Storm Hate, uh, it's probably because you feel like you need to beat those guys to win the tournament. So the, the fact that this does nothing to stop them from storming off and then just gets bounced because once they've stormed off, they effectively have access to their entire library makes it that, pretty bad storm hate, in, in my opinion. Yeah. The, when you're looking for a storm card, hate card, I think that your best bet is to try to disrupt the storm player in their setup phase. And this is yeah. the phase that they're trying to cast like cantrips and stuff. And um, if you can make that difficult for them, make it difficult for them to sculpt their hand, you're much better off than having a card that is in play that says, you can't win right now. Because any of those cards, they just get to cast enough gifts on given where they're going to end up with a you know wipe away or similar effect. So I think that trying to slow them down in their initial process is much better than trying to prevent them from being able to go off, right? And the cards that prevent them from going off, or prevent them from winning once they've gone off, are fine, but just not something that you should expect a lot out of, if that makes sense. Yeah. I I mean, right. Like, if they would be in your deck anyways, if they were attached to a creature, like, if you wanted something like True Believer in your deck anyways, you know, as, like, you know, hate against burn that gives you splash damage against storm, but, you know... Like, that's okay, but you, it's not reliable in any way. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, 
so so you know like that's why like Thalia is so good against Storm because it, it's not just that it like makes their rituals bad and you know it, it really bad if they don't have a brawl in play yeah. and and normal if they do have a brawl in play it's that like serum visions is two mana now that's right awful. exactly yeah for sure you wanna you wanna try to do what you can to make their initial setup turns more awkward so like a, a graph digger's cage just like isn't you know they're gonna be able to bounce that before they're trying to go off so yeah but at um, least graph digger's cage like does sort of get in the way of their like past in flames gifts ungiven yeah true you true, know, true loop true. It, sure. it's still not good i still don't love graph digger's cage against storm but it does yeah. more than a card like this does that only hits the win conditions so yeah not um, not really excited about this card but i think it is geared towards mm, eternal sideboards oh yeah it's this is not <laughs> i i don't even know what this could possibly affect in standard i mean this also like I, I, i've also heard people saying well this also like is good against burn and is good against mardu so maybe, like, if you really want this to buy you some time against Burn, it does make a lot of their hands awkward. Like, any two-land hand from Burn, like, has a really hard time with a card like this. Um, right, it's, I don't think this... it's like a Thalia against Burn, which is nice. Yeah, for sure. and that's that's okay. And I don't think this is actually good against Pyromancer, because they don't really care how long it takes to kill you, and they also have Coligan's commands, so they can eventually kill you, which they're fine with. So yeah. I, I don't think you should ever sideboard this in against Mardu. But, you know, maybe maybe it fills exactly the right holes you need in a specific Dex Modern sideboard, but this is not my go-to hate card at all. Agreed. Next up, we've got Diamond Mare. So this is a uh, two-mana artifact creature horse. It's a 1-3. As Diamond Mare enters the battlefield, choose a color. When you cast a spell of the chosen color, you gain one life. The only reason this is here is because this is a horse. It's so a Crested Sunmare makes it indestructible, and it also gains you a life when you cast <laughs> a Crested Sunmare, and then at end of turn, you get another horse off of your Crested Sunmare. We're doing like it. Horse the tribal. Perfect, the perfect Crested Sunmare enabler. That's it. That's the only reason this is on here. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if uh, you know, if that deck ends up being good, I, I, I wouldn't fault somebody for putting this in there for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's fine, and and especially like, you know, if we got to a place like we were talking about with that green card that like draws you a land from the top of your deck, um, if we're at a place where one three is an okay body against the red aggro decks, you know, this can be like an okay blocker, and then gains you some life and just buys you enough time to do your thing against the very aggressive decks. Obviously, like, this isn't a hate card against the Glorybringer red decks of right now, but those decks are not going to exist in three months. So yeah, something to, something to keep an eye on. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, of course, once those red decks are gone, then we no longer have Crested Sunware, so this just becomes, like, a, a medium sideboard card. But, well, um, yeah. <laughs> in the meantime, sure. you know, I'm going to try to build some horse decks. So that's all I want. Next up, we've got Dragon's Horde. So this is a three-mana artifact. Uh, whenever a dragon enters the battlefield under your control, put a gold counter on Dragon's Horde. Uh, you can tap it and remove all gold counters, remove a gold counter from Dragon's Horde to draw a card. So essentially, you're turning it into, uh, dragons can convert into a card. And then it also is a mana rock, so it taps for one mana of any color. So it's a three yeah. mana mana rock that 
says whenever you cast a dragon, you can get a gold counter, and you can tap this thing to remove gold counters to draw a card. Um, so uh, this is another one of those just like dragon enabler cards, I guess, or I guess even a payoff for for the dragon deck is that like this is going to ramp you into your five mana dragons from three, which is good, and then from there your dragons are getting you more value. So kind yeah. of continuing with the general dragon trend of, like, once we're going, we're really going, you know? So right. this is kind of like the win more philosophy that dragons have a lot of the time, which isn't the best, but, you know, that's what that's what you're looking at. <laughs> right, but if we're into this, like, very mid-rangey world, then that can be a... a yeah, that can be good. Capitalize on it, yeah. I mean, it's, sure. it's kind of cool that between this and Sarkin, like... You know, they both make mana of any color. They ramp you on turn four into a, a bigger dragon than you would normally be able to cast. Like, that's a decent amount of uh, of uh, redundancy that can help. I mean, this card is not overwhelmingly powerful, but, you know, like, the best dragon is Glorybringer. That costs five. This just puts it out a turn earlier. Uh, the way that Glorybringer works is it does help you catch up a little bit because it's a removal spell and a body. Um, so, yeah, like, this card is, is okay. It's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can see it. You know, if the Dragon's deck is going to be powerful, then this is definitely a card mm -hmm. that I think you're going to want in, in there. So, that's good. Yeah. Probably need some interesting dragons going forward to make this work, but I don't know. It's right. cool. Super right. speculative. Super speculative kind of card, but... But there's something there. Like, getting getting cards back out of your mana acceleration really helps, you know, you you get the mana, you get your, your big guys out, and then you draw some more cards so that you can cast some more big guys. And that's a, a solid play pattern. I'm okay with that. Yeah, for sure. Next up, we've got Detection Tower. So this is a land. Taps for colorless, and it has an activated ability. One tap. Until end of turn, your opponents and creatures your opponents control with Hexproof can be the target of spells and abilities you control as though they didn't have Hexproof. So this is like an interesting card, and you know when people first saw it, they were like, great, we have an answer for Boggles now. As but just what like deck a, a, a in modern can you possibly play this in? Right. Yeah, exactly. So the, the, the question becomes... Alright, what deck are in modern we're we playing Detection Tower in that taps for colorless? And also, yeah. have you heard of engineered explosives? <laughs> right. <laughs> Any colored deck in modern can play engineered explosives, and I promise it's a better answer to Boggles than Detection and, Tower. And all of the removal decks in modern are three colors. You cannot put a colorless land in your deck. It's just not a land. It's it's just like a, a spell that uses up a land drop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For me personally, not impressed with this. Like, the only play that I guess this would ever see, I think, is going to be more like a commander card. Um, sure. In some deck that plays a few like land tutors, like I mean, it could be if... like a map target or like a Sylvan Scrying target or something like that. Um, if Blue White really wants to cast Settle the Wreckage against Shalai, I guess. But it's probably easier just to cast out the Shalai and then cast the Settle the Wreckage later. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, this this probably does not do it. To me, this is a whiff. I think it's kind of like a cool idea, but it's... Yeah. Yeah, for me, I think it's a whiff. Next up, and the last card that we're reviewing is Fountain of Renewal. Um, so this is a one-mana artifact, and uh, it says at the beginning of your upkeep, you gain one life. 
It also has a activated ability, three, sacrifice Fountain of Renewal to draw a card. Yeah, I'm in. I'm down. <laughs> Just a cheap artifact to enable improvised strategies to turn on your weird blue artifact stuff. It, like, can gain you life for the the life gain deck, if that's what you're in for. Um, I think most likely, like, this is a one-mana artifact that has an effect, can use to pay for improvised stuff, and then can turn into a card later. Um, yeah. And that may be what we needed in order for the improvised deck to reach at least, like, tier two or so. Yeah, so, right, maybe we're running this instead of Implement of Ferocity, right? You know, if, if right. that's what we're looking for. But honestly, I, I really like Implement of Ferocity giving a plus one, plus one counter to something. Um, right, can this, just, this your, seems like, much better in a not plus one, plus one counter oriented yeah, deck. Yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah, in terms of, like, it being an artifact for Improvise, if we're trying to, you know, push Improvise anymore, I think this is a pretty good option. It's just free any turn that you're casting an improvised spell. It's it can ramp you into the improvised spells pretty easily. So that's these are all good things, I think. Yep, and and it like gets you a couple of life along the way, which may be just enough. You know, like gaining three or four life incidentally is is not nothing. Like that's that's quite a bit. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like this card. I mean, it might not see any play at all, but it certainly is an enabler for stuff that exists in the format. Whether that's the you know improvised demon and other improvised stuff, or if it's you know you know just another thing to turn into a five five, um, or cast this with the the legendary the the master thopterist to get a thopter as well. Like, th- there's a bunch of stuff that this can work with, and something probably wants it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm yeah, it's it's one of those cards that feels like it can fit into an archetype, and I bet that you know there's a good chance that one of those archetypes surfaces as being very strong and this card sees a lot of play, but it could also, that could also not happen and then this card sees no play, right? So sure. we're just kind sure. of, you know, keeping an eye on it for potentially like a, you know, utility card in, in particular decks. Yeah. Also, it does not die to Goblin Chain Whirler. Thank it's God. Just, we found a that card that doesn't die to Goblin Chain Whirler. It. And it's a yeah. one-mana artifact. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Silly, silly Goblin Chain Whirler. All right, yeah, we so made that's, it. Uh, that's our thoughts on Core Set 2019. Yeah. Any any favorite things? Any like particular standouts that you're you're super excited about? Like pumped to to brew around? I, I mean, I guess you know maybe we should have officially come up with like our top threes or top fives or something. But but I'll just ask you <laughs> off off the cuff. What what are you thinking about here? I'm really hoping that we get some interesting new archetypes in Standard, and those could either be dragons, or Mm -hmm. some sort of, like, artifact deck, or goblins, maybe. Just, like, some new archetype that, like, sees a lot of play. I I would love to see that happening. Just, like, any of, like, the pushed, like, even zombies would be, like, cool to see. Just something to mix up Standard a little bit. I think that's... yeah kind of my hope right so i guess that that would mean that my favorite cards are like you know the zombie lords or the cool goblin payoffs or even like the artifact payoffs so yep yeah makes sense to me that's what i'm looking at cool yeah i'm uh most excited about i think like first 
definitely would like to try to make some sort of Crested Sunbear life gain deck work because I think yeah, there may yeah. be a way to build it to be particularly strong against, a, you know, the life gain element gives you game against the very aggressive red decks while the, like, Crested Sunmare aspect of the deck is obviously going to easily overpower their mid-rangey stuff, because a 5-5 every turn tends to do that. And the other thing that I'm really excited about is, like, ways to do neat things with, like, Liliana Death's Majesty. And I'm thinking specifically about, like, Nicole Bolas the Ravager here, but, um, like, I think we haven't really gotten a chance for that card to be truly great yet. Uh, I'm talking about Liliana, and I think that we might just have like a small window here where I can do a bunch of cool stuff with it, and I'm kind of pumped mm-hmm. for that. <laughs> well, good. Oh, also, Lee pointed out, one of our listeners in chat, a listener, a friend, uh, Lee pointed out that Vine Mares uh, can't be blocked by black creatures. Um, also means that it can't be blocked by anything eternalized or brought back with the Scare of God. So, like, Ooh. these black decks, it's really got protection from most of the stuff they have going on. So that's nice. That is cool. I like that. But yeah, so that's uh, that's M19. I, I think we... Uh, yeah. We should that's, probably, that's it for today. probably wrap yeah. this up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so well, thanks cool. so much to everybody for listening. Um, really appreciate it. If you want to give us any support, go ahead and uh, head to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or just head to mtggrindcast.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I am tweeting from at mtg underscore grindcast and collins is also on twitter at collins mullen yeah uh thank you guys so much for listening and have a great week until next time peace